Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Jim Cornette Experience, where this past weekend, the WWE presented Crown Jewel, and AEW's ticket sales are taking it in the family jewels. We're going to talk wrestling, Reggie's Corner, and how far Daniel Boone could walk right here today. And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, a true frontiersman blazing a trail for the wrestling fan. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. I'm eating a bagel while we uh, start the show. It's early. One of the earlier start times for us. And uh, you're, you're eating another bagel. Well, the second half of the first half of the bagel that I ate before. I've been mean. listening to you chew on bagels for the past 15 minutes while you fumfered around. The only time that you intermittently ceased chewing on bagels and stuffing them down your neck was when you told me, oh, my, you know, my voice today and I'm stuffed up and I don't, geez, I'm not at a hundred percent trying to lower, lowered expectations, my expectations already here before we even go on the air. And now you're, you're still, it's, it's dry, stale bread, Brian. Uh, no, it's, it's not, not. Maybe that's how it is in Louisville, Kentucky. Those famous Louisville bagels? I don't think so. I've been to New York. You could put one of those things in a fucking sock and defend yourself in a street fight. I'm not saying that's wrong, and that's, you know, the sign of a, a good meal, the kind that you can oh, defend yourself with. <laughs> but it's delicious. You get a good fresh bagel, well done. Well, well done. Made right, I guess I should say. <laughs> and it's fantastic. And it's Fresh not off the grill. Fresh off the grill, that's right. Oh, Jesus Christ. So basically, you should have a, a bagel place called Slapjacks. And that way you get one to eat and one to take home to fend yourself with on the walk back. That's the biggest thing I miss from Long Island, not living there anymore, is 24-hour bagel places all over the place. Anytime, day or night, whenever I need a bagel, I can get one. Fresh. Ed Cohen, who was the arena booker for the WWF back when... in. Actually, I think he may have been for the WWWF. He was there then. He was one of the early employees, definitely, of Vince Jr. and may have been there as a up-and-comer during Vince Sr., but nevertheless, he booked all of the major, well, all of the arenas. He booked the live event schedule, including the TV tapings where they were and routed the pay-per-views and whole nine yards and was the major domo of the live event schedule from that point in time to the early 2000s or maybe later. So quite a while and a fucking hilarious guy. And it just, he was the, uh, the most fun of anybody in the Titan tower office to talk to. If I had to speak with anybody, but he would always order his morning bagel burnt. It would have to go through the toaster like two or three times or however long it would take to, Looked like it had an acetylene torch taken to it. And then he'd smear the the cream cheese or whatever the case may be. And boom, when he bit into it, fucking soot flew. It was, <laughs> but that was it. That was it. He would even castigate people like, make sure it's burnt. Well done. I think he might've even said. Well, that's one of the reasons you heard me eating it. The one I made and I can have it various different ways. This was really toasted, really burnt. Really, we got a really burnt bagel. Really burnt with uh, lots of butter. And all right here on our shoe. All right, speaking of, of shoes, I wanna, I, I'm excited to tell you the big news of the week. 
put myself in the shoes of me as a little kid. I'm just giddy again. Because do you know what is now airing on not me TV, not our friends over there at me TV? I don't know if there's an affiliation behind the scenes, but it's Fee TV, Family Entertainment Television, F-E-T-V. Fet. Fet. Fetiv. It's over there on, say, well, Fee TV, I think, is if you're going with the Me TV example. Well, if you have if, a free, you don't cha have if you have a free channel, you wouldn't want to pronounce your channel as Fee TV. Fee well, is free? But it's Family Entertainment, F-E-T-V. Whose family? Well, your family or my family or anybody's family, the Adams family for that. They might even show that here pretty soon. But it's it's entertainment for the whole family. You got everybody from grandma and grandpa down to the kids and the and the and the pups and the kitties. But guess what is has debuted now and and they started airing it from volume one, issue one, from season one, episode one that I had never seen before, one of my favorite TV shows of all time, and now back on the air. Can you guess what it is? Captain Video. Oh, God damn it. I don't, do they even still have a, a library of Captain Video, or was that all in the pre-Kinescope days? I'm not sure. So it's a show from your youth? Is that what it is? There, I dropped a clue earlier, but you probably weren't listening. You know, usually not. Um... <laughs> Is it bigger than a bread box? Chatty Patty? No, I'll I'll save the listeners. Tubby the tuba? The rest of the tubby the tuba. With <laughs> <laughs> a Peter Griffin musical walk. <laughs> no, I'll save the listeners the rest of your vain, lame attempts at fucking ad lib here. You're not gonna make the groundlings this week, Brian. Oh no. Daniel Boone is back on Fee TV that you don't have to pay for. Daniel Boone with Fess Parker. Daniel Boone, the 1960s TV series. And when I was a kid, when I was, say, five years old, besides the fact that that was the only time except for the local news where anybody on TV was talking about Kentucky, well, it, 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 how could you not be hooked as a five-year-old kid? You see... Daniel Boone throw the tomahawk and split the tree in half and here come the credits and I'm like as a five-year-old I'm like god damn he must have thrown that real hard because I've run into some of these trees around here and I don't think they'd go that easy Davy Crockett wannabe he was no he wasn't a Davy Crockett wannabe it was Davy Crockett Davy Crockett too yeah it was Davy Crockett actually that's a real fast Parker became a goddamn <laughs> multi-millionaire owned fucking Massive real estate in California, a vineyard or a winery or whatever they call them type of things, all based on portraying people wearing raccoon pelts on the top of their heads. When I was a kid, the Disney Channel, which was just starting up on cable in the 80s, other than Donald Duck Presents, they always had Davy Crockett and then, of course, Zorro the Gay Blade. Well, we don't know what Zorro's private life was like, and I think it's presumptuous of you no, 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 it has nothing to, to do with his sexuality. Kind of He's just happy. He's happy with a with a blade. He was, was He's like, like Moxley. Ronnie P. Gossett used to say that. He'd say, I'm not gay, I'm just happy. Or I'm just friendly, is what he'd say. But nevertheless, Fess Parker was Davy Crockett in 1955-56, the season of Disneyland, where they 
recounted the exploits of Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier, and it led to the first big kids television merchandising boom. They even they were earlier really than the big Mickey Mouse Club shit. And it was fucking Fess Parker mania and Davy Crockett mania all over the place. And so when they're going to do Daniel Boone, well, who's got the market cornered on the goddamn frontiersman? They go to Fess Parker again. And there he is as Daniel Boone. I'll never get another role as good as Davy Crockett. Guess what? <laughs> Keep that hat. And again... You know, there he is. He's in the coonskin cap, right? But he contributed to a lot of, of, of delinquent children, did Daniel Boone. Now that I've seen, because I saw the, well, I, I've never seen the first episode because it aired two weeks before my third birthday. So I was not into the hour-long network dramas, you know, in the evening at that point in time. But over the next couple of years, as I mentioned, boom, not only the, the fucking tomahawk going through the tree, but then in the 1966 fall season, everything goes to color pretty much on network. And my dad got a uh, one of those beautiful old console color TVs. It was a giant piece of furniture from the newspaper as a thank you for I don't, I don't know what it was, but, uh, and so we were watching and then the color episodes, boom, now I'm hooked on Daniel and Mingo, his good bosom buddy. And then later on, Gabe, Rosie Greer, but then they started syndicating the black and white episodes from the first couple seasons. And you get the fine character actor, Albert Salmi playing Yadkin. And we wonder where. Daniel's daughter Jemima went when they went to color. I'm not sure what happened there. Suddenly it was just poor old Israel was a single child. But nevertheless, he led to a lot of delinquent children. Because if, if you were trying to imitate Daniel Boone and live your life like he did, think about this. It's an attractive song. They draw you right in. Daniel Boone was a man. Yes, a big man. And he fought for America to make all Americans free. From the coonskin cap on the top of old Dan to the heel of his rawhide shoes. The rippinest, roaringest, fightingest man the frontier ever knew. Well, that's cool, right? All the kids want to be like that. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Right? Right. But oh, then, yeah. But then think about what he's doing. Well, for example, doing. in the first episode, he was instructed in, by the General Washington up there in Philadelphia, where the capital was back in the 1770s, to, to go down and check out this place called Kentucky, the dark and bloody ground. Because this place was fucking wild back then, right? The, the Indians didn't even live here full time. They just used it as the hunting ground. It was very inhospitable territory. Imagine them mountains. And he said, Daniel, go and blaze a trail through the Cumberland Gap. Okay. Or maybe sometimes Daniel, after he established Fort Boonesboro, he needed to go up and see the, the Continental Congress about something or go to see the Liberty Bell, and he'd have to bop up to Philadelphia. So what he would do, him and Yadkin, or him and Mingo, 
They'd kiss. Well, he would kiss his wife. Mingo or Yadkin wasn't allowed to kiss Rebecca while Daniel was around, but Daniel would kiss his wife, Rebecca, and they would take off walking on foot, carrying a one-shot rifle that took two minutes to reload, wearing the clothes on their back, no horse, no wagon, no luggage. And they'd go to commercial. And that son of a bitch, three minutes later, at the end of the goddamn commercial break, they'd be walking up the front steps in Philadelphia to talk to General Washington. That's 600 fucking miles of driving. How the fuck did... And, and then they'd go back. And then Becky would say, Oh, Dan, you've been gone three weeks. Three weeks to walk 1,200 miles through the goddamn mountains that you couldn't lead a horse through back then? How the fuck did he do this? So all these kids, I, for one, thought one day, well, I'll just walk to Philadelphia. Well, I got a mile and a half down the fucking road in the cow pasture, and I was like, well, fuck, where's Philly? And another thing, did you ever say <laughs> the cabin? The cabin on the outside, it looks like it's 20 by 20 feet, right? But inside... The cabin, it's beautiful. They got a, a sitting area. They got the big fireplace. They got the dining room table. They got all kinds of antiques and stuff. They got the, the bed area and then the loft up there where Israel sleeps. And I don't know where they put Jemima. And it's, it's immaculate. And, and I know it gets hot in the fucking summertime in Kentucky and it gets cold in the wintertime. But nobody's ever shivering, and nobody's ever freezing. I used to ask my mother, why is it so, so clean in the, in the Boone's cabin, and it's so messy around here? Or how come we're sweating? Because we ain't got the central air put in yet. The Boone's are comfortable. A lot of smart-mouthed children propagated by that program. And if you notice, I've noted from the first season also, I've noticed one more thing. Apparently, it was a network requirement because I've seen this on a couple of occasions. He could shoot all the Indians he wanted, but when he went to shoot the bear, they couldn't show the bear getting hit with a bullet. Apparently, it would upset the children. But meanwhile, he's picking these goddamn Indians off right and left, and they're fucking taking bumps and screaming and dying. That didn't upset the children. All right. Well, tune in next week, and Jim will review Petticoat Junction here on the show. No, we already did that, remember? Oh, God. A couple of years ago, we were talking about the fact that, you know, pretty much all through the run of the series, um, you know, you had the same Betty Joe because she was the the daughter of the producer of the program. But the Bobby Joes and the Billy Joes, they were bouncing all over the place. No pun intended. I would have liked to have wondered if the people in Hooterville were using the the water tower that they took the bass in naked while they're clothing was strung willy-nilly across the top of it. Were they using that for drinking water? I don't know. Would you like to move on, Brian? Yes!
Okay, we got a couple of uh, emails to go over, but first, a recurring segment here on the program and something that, we, that we, we've skipped again. I think we skipped a week, and I don't want to get too far behind. At the same point, don't want to don't want to ruin anybody's day, but do want to recognize some of the listeners out there that have lost some of their their friends, their children, their fur babies. So it's time for another edition of Reggie's Corner. Reggie's Corner. We're here to talk about your good boys and girls. Reggie's Corner. We're so sorry they're dead now. All right, let's go to an upbeat topic from the uh, Fess Parker talk, like dead animals. Well, you know, it's not my fault that you didn't have anybody to look up to up there. There's nobody ever famous, a frontiersman or a trailblazer <laughs> from New York or New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, they all came from Kentucky and Tennessee in the case of Davy, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of frontiersmen on Long Island, no. Well, see, that's your problem. That's your problem. Yeah, nobody up there going to blaze the trails for the people of westward expansion, westward hoe the wagons. And every wagon needed their hoe. But right now, we're going to talk about some of the furry friends that we have lost uh, in the cult of Cornette, our listeners out there, and starting with Mike from Louisville, Kentucky, who had written a couple of times, one, it was almost going to happen. And then unfortunately they didn't get the miracle they were hoping for. And, uh, Mike and his fiance's little 11 year old Jack Russell, Charlie passed away. And he had, um, a variety of illnesses that came down with all at once. But, uh, we want to send our thoughts out to Mike on Charlie because it was a sad email and I don't want to bum you out, Brian, you're being such a Stick up your ass today. I'm very sorry about the passing of Jack Russell Charlie. Well, no, he was a Jack Russell. His name was Charlie. His name wasn't Jack Russell Charlie. Jack Russell Charlie is what you said. Well, that's without... (sighs) Do I have to go into every bit of detail? They're 11-year-old Jack Russell Terrier Charlie. A Jack Russell is a kind of dog. You're aware of this, are you not? I am aware of this, yes. All right, well, then I spoke correctly. All right, well, Charlie says I uh, want some good and plenty. Let's uh, move on. Ryan from Sarnia, Ontario. I have posters in my collection of uh, independent shows, outlaw shows, if you will, from the 70s, from the Sarnia Arena with uh, Chris Colt and Bulldog Don Kent and the variety of folks like that. And he wrote, uh, hi, Jim and Brian. I had to put my best friend Ray down last week. He was a 14-year-old Roddy Beagle mix who lost his battle with cancer. We'd listen to your shows on our daily walks. If you can mention him on Reggie's Corner, it would mean the world to me. That's a great name, Roddy Beagle. No, it was a Roddy Beagle, meaning a mix of a Rottweiler and a Beagle. Oh. Another Ryan from Grass Lake, Michigan. Not to be confused with Clear Lake, Iowa. Uh, Unfortunately lost his male German shorthair pointer. That's the breed and the kind. The name is Sorbonne. On September 6th, he was struck by a car. He would have been four years old on October 22nd. Sorbonne? 
sore bone. Help, he, miss, help me. I'm looking for, I can't find my sore bone. <laughs> Man, where's my sore bone? Well, no, he just goes out and calls him and he comes just screams, sore bone, sore bone. But Ryan said he was a special dog. Please put him in Reggie's corner. So we did. Yes. And Sorry. also, uh, Zach. I believe is this Zach. Hold on here. Yes. Well, he's a Lego maniac. ZG was what he signed it as. His first name is Zach. We won't go into all of his information, but from Jacksonville, lost his five year old pup, Cobra to a renal failure and uh, just a horrible illness that came on. And it's a long email that I won't go into because everybody would be saddened by, but Zach, we, well, no, I can't. It's a whole lot. It's a Cobra. I'm sorry. I just want, I need information. No, his five-year-old puppy, Cobra. Oh, I thought you said it was a Cobra that got renal failure. I'm sorry. No, (laughs) no, his five-year-old puppy. Are you hearing every other word? Is this thing on? I'm so sorry about the Cobra. Zach, we're sorry. I'm sorry about Brian, Zach. George Takano. Oh, that's a deep cut. And they think we don't know our new Japan. There we go. Um, And finally, from um, a fellow named Dwarin, D-W-O-R-I-N, Dwarin, I hope that's correct, who uh, lost his St. Bernard Klaus, recently diagnosed with cancer and heart failure. And uh, unfortunately, was only five and a half years old. Klaus, our big boy, was full of energy and had puppy dog eyes that made you smile every time. He was also a great escape artist when it came to food. Uh, Once took a pork rib off the deep freezer top that I left there to thaw out, only to find, I think, Warren's second language may be English. Only to find the empty casing and a St. Bernard having a snack in the backyard under the pine tree. It would mean the world to immortalize his memory in Reggie's corner. Well, we're sorry about Klaus. Um, and I and, and Sonny Von Bulow as well. Well, and, and Sonny as, as well. His, his St. Bernard wife in their St. Bernard house with their St. Bernard marriage. And, 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 and real quick, I said finally, but... Yeah, he did. This is a special. We've got a celebrity member. What? For the first time, I guess, uh, that I think uh, ever, we've got a celebrity member of Reggie's Corner. Who's this? Well, not a not an app, uh, an applicant, not a an inductee. The the animal was not the celebrity. <laughs> but well, what are you? You're just. I don't know where you're going. This is ridiculous. You're twisting an applicant, not an around. inductee, an applicant for the Hall of Fame, or for, not yeah. even a Hall of Fame for Reggie's no, Corner. It's the Reggie's Corner. What are we doing here? Is it's like you're not even here, Brian? You oh, can't follow I'm, me. I'm so sorry about your cobra, Charlie. No, no. <sighs> My old friend Rich Bokini, the erstwhile gadabout pro wrestling broadcaster, announcer, play-by-play man who I worked with during my foray into the jungles of MLW a few years back. He and his girlfriend lost it. It was her 14-year-old cat, Tina, that had been with her all that time. And that was just a few months ago. And then after Tina passed a, a few weeks ago, 
their other cat, Ike, passed away. So they lost both Ike and Tina. But... But Ike started sleeping with a couple of the uh, other cats after Tina... No, listen, well, we don't know that for sure, but I was trying to say there's an uplifting end to this. They now have a new cat who has four kittens. So I'm not sure whether Ike's meandering ways or meowing ways or tomcatting around had anything to do with that, but they've, they've now got a fine feline family that they can call their own. So best wishes to Rich and... His lovely young lady, who apparently is very easy to please, but our sympathies on the loss of both Ike and yes. T. And our sympathies that you're still stuck with MLW as well. <laughs> well, no, he's branching out. And I understand the aluminum siding is a fast-growing industry. And he's actually uh, now studying and training to become an installer, I believe. But Rich, we we love you, and uh, and unfortunately, Brian, just a brief one. We just wanted to bop in there, but that is the official end of Reggie's Corner. This has been Reggie's Corner. Goodbye to our friends on the other side. On the next Reggie's Corner, we'll talk about a bunch more pets who died. Woof, woof. Oh, it just cuts off right there. Um, all right, a couple of emails from the listeners on things we've been talking about. Remember a, a few weeks ago, Brian, when we were talking about the old uh, horror movies, the scary movies that you could get in the 60s on 8mm film, the silent, condensed, like, 8-minute version of a goddamn hour-and-a-half you know, universal horror movie from the forties. You remember this discussion? I do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just waiting for the validation of that since you can't remember apparently what you did 15 minutes ago today. Oh, come on, Cobra. Don't talk to me like that. Uh, but anyway, I'll tell you the Cobra. It's the Cobra. The Cobra has renal cancer. I was like, what the fuck is happening here? No, no, they can subsist for quite a while without, with having both of their renals taken out. But anyway, Kevin wrote in uh, that he was listening to a recent episode of the experience. And we were talking about the old eight millimeter films. I couldn't remember the company that released them and he has it. And several other people tweeted it to me. So credit to them. Also castle films. Castle Films is the answer we were looking for. Do you remember that? Does that strike a bell with you now, or you're still too I remember young? the conversation. I actually have some of those, not a horror films, but I think I have like a Woody Woodpecker, 8mm, and a few yes. other things. Yeah. Well, they did. They were the home video company when there was no such thing as home video. If you wanted to get, you know, uh, again, silent 8mm shortened films that you had to put on a projector and show on a, sh- uh, show on a sheet, she sells seashells by the seashore. Show on a sheet, or if you were lucky enough to have a screen, then that's where you went to Castle Films. And he goes on to say, my sister bought an 8mm camera at a rummage sale and then gave it to me for doing a few chores at her house. This would be in the mid-70s. Since I would obviously need a projector, I ordered one from the Johnson Smith catalog. I also bought several of those Castle films. I remember having at least one of the Universal Monster movies, a boxing match, 
a highlight film of the Harlem Globetrotters and at least one other. And that's, that's the only way you could get anything, cartoons, whatever. And it had to be, you couldn't just, you know, give the kids something to watch, turn TV on and pop a tape in or whatever. You had to bring the projector out and you had to run it. And it was a whole goddamn turn the lights out in the room. And it only lasted eight minutes and then it's over with. But that's what we had back in those days. And then, as said, you know, well, Brian, you were, you know, when you were a kid also, your parents would light a candle and make hand shadows on the wall, right? Uh, no, that was uh, not, we had VHS when I was a kid. <laughs> Thankfully. Well, and anyway, Kevin, lastly, he says, interesting, you also mentioned your mom would have been 90 recently. It was back in October, would have been Mama Cornette's 90th birthday. He said, same goes for my mother on October 24th. And that was a coincidence because October 24th would have been my father's birthday and he would have been 109. So there you go. That's a that's a mathematical coincidence. Coincidence. Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. You have these often coincidences? I don't know about when it comes to um dead parents. I well, birthdays and ages and things. And and his mother and my mother were both mothers. <laughs> so <laughs> All right, here's another one. We ain't getting anywhere there. Um, <laughs> 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 this is from Trent. I don't think it's the one in the best friends. But uh, Trent says, and he actually sent pictures to back up what he is going to be saying here. So this, he's not just pulling this out of his ass. He sent me, and the, they were not great quality pictures. I could see what he was talking about. But if I could figure out how to blow them up on my computer, I would goddamn read them. But since I can't, I won't. But nevertheless, it was. Basically, he says, hi, guys, my brother and I went to the AEW collision event in Memphis last Saturday, and we actually managed to come out with some program notes we found lying around. Program it, notes? What does that mean? Yes, it, it was uh, uh, formats. I'm uh, apparently that uh, on AEW paperwork or stationery, whatever the case, that some members of the production crew would have had it didn't look like tv formats per se as in interview here match whatever but it looked like some type of cues for lighting or the sound people or whatever because it would need to know which area they were coming out or whether they were face or heel right <laughs> and some production notes for some element of the crew that they apparently just leave laying around but he says what was interesting was that Claudio and Wheeler Useless were listed as face, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. They didn't, they don't even know on their own paperwork. And that's what Trent says. I know Cornette recently mentioned that the faction was not in a clear face or heel position. I would love to get your thoughts on the lack of an internal decision regarding their personas. They don't even they don't even know on their own paperwork whether they're fucking faces or not. It was eh. it's nothing but disorganization there in every way, in every facet, in every department. Are there departments? 
I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there, but everywhere. There may be compartments. Um, and he says, I do want to add that we did have fun, but there was a shitload of wrestling, like five and a half hours total. It sucked to see the light attendance and the crowd that was there was completely burned out by the end of collision when there was still about two or three hours of wrestling left. Did he say light attendance or a light attendant? It No, it sucked to see the light attendance. Oh, I thought it meant like it was so dark they had a light attendant, someone walking around like a fucking did, fl- yeah, flashlight. No, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> what they need to do is they need to get they need to get the guides down at Mammoth Cave. Because they got all the experience. They've been able to guide the fucking small amount of fans that come into these cavernous buildings through the fucking dark, wet, dank wilderness. Make sure they don't fall into a bottomless pit. Maybe they can make more money like that. In the middle of Dynamite, you're also selling like guided tours into the darkness of the upper parts of the building. (laughs) Yes. And they'll (laughs) greet every fan coming in the door by their first name. Hello, George, and this will be your spelunker for tonight. (laughs) He's going to take you on a tour of the cavernous areas of the building. Please keep your helmet light on at all times and stay on the marked trails. This is the mezzanine. No one has ever seen AEW from the mezzanine. (laughs) (laughs) Domestically. And then they'll have, uh, what's that guy's name? Daniel Cameron? They'll have him do some kind of documentary about James it. Cameron. James Cameron. Who is Daniel Cameron? You're thinking of Daniel Boone. Who was a man. Yes, a big man. <laughs> what a boon, what a doer, what a dream come a truer was he. <laughs> um, I'm trying to mention another thing here. What's that? that? Uh, the, the last email I have to bring up here is from Max. And I can't pronounce his last name. It's something like Asperger's. Like Cartman's episode of South Park, where he was taking the patties and sticking them down his back of his crack of his ass and then flavoring them in a tent and then putting them on the grill, and they became a big hit. That was the title of the episode was Asperger's. But nevertheless, it's something spelled like that with a with a S-H-C-H in the end, or in the middle. Anyway, hello, Max. Uh, He would like to share his experience from attending the October 27th Smackdown in Milwaukee and the crazy events that unfolded that night. Apparently, both his mother and he are cult members and regular listeners of the program. He listens with his mother, and he's a grown adult. Hi, Mom. So they got multiple generations of cult members in the family. So anyway, back to Friday, he says. So we got incredible seats, fourth row, right behind the announce table. It was worth every penny. He apparently loved the show. But he says, during the taping of the second episode, the announcer had us do something odd. While they were setting up the ring for something, they wanted us to cheer as loud as we could for about a minute. Then they also had us boo as loud as we could for the same amount of time. I was wondering if y'all knew what that was for. Piping in crowd noise? Question mark. Bingo. That's what the, Vince was doing that back in the 90s. They will he would have Finkel go out, whoever it is now that serves as their Finkel for these things, and fire the people up and say, hey, we want to hear how enthusiastic you are we want to get your faces on tv and 
And I stole that and did it for Smoky Mountain Television because we would not only, we weren't sweetening audio, but in the more rudimentary TV production days, the way that you covered shit up that you didn't want to air, whether somebody whiffed something or, you know, completely missed or it looked like shit or they bobbled it or somebody, whatever, some horrible bad camera switch, you would get the crowd screaming and yelling both on audio and video with the floor cameras so that you could cut in a various excited response and then you'd do the same thing for booing or whatever and say, we want to get all your faces on TV and all that shit. So that's what, what, but what they're doing now is purely for the, they have that particular arena, that particular crowd of, they're not just using fake crowd noise from 10 years ago anymore, right? They're obviously getting it from the arena every night like that. You see what I'm saying, Brian? Yeah, it reminds me of that story. And I heard someone who, uh, a friend of mine or someone I used to work with had a similar story from when they did the Let's Go Mets Go video in 86, but it was a story somewhere. Maybe it was like an old Observer yearbook. Some fan was in the crowd for a WWF taping when they were doing the Coco Beware video for Piledriver. And he was up on the apron singing and the fans were screaming. And then they did take two and take three. By the end of it, the fans just hated Coco and hated the song. <laughs> they kept having him redo it. And the fans, you know, you want the enthusiastic fans, but you kill their enthusiasm after a while. And it wouldn't take Coco five run-throughs of that song to kill the enthusiasm. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and lastly, still from Max, listen to this story now. After our fun evening of wrestling, we started our roughly hour drive back to Madison and on the way we stopped to get food to eat when we got home. Uh, about five minutes after I got back on the highway, 20 minutes away from our house, I see a flash of a deer, a flash of light, crunching, squealing, smoke, and then silence. I immediately open the door and realize we're disabled in the fast lane of the interstate. As I'm doing this, I'm also yelling for my mom, and thankfully she responded, and I helped her out of the car through the driver's side door. I did everything I could to get the car out of the road, but it was stuck. My mom and I both escaped with only scratches. Her head was fine, but I'm 99% sure I got a decent concussion from hitting that fucking deer at 60 miles per hour in a Prius. After that, we stood and watched as so many cars almost hit my car. Thankfully, nobody did and eventually a semi stopped and helped traffic flow until the police came. A group of guys heading home from a hockey game stopped and ended up giving us a ride back to Madison. On the way back, we talked to the fellas, and they ended up knowing a local wrestling promoter that I know. It's crazy how fast life can come at you. One minute you're having the time of your life at a wrestling show. The next minute you're in the middle of the highway with a deer flying into your Toyota Prius. Well, there you go. Wow. Max, we are glad that you guys are okay. And I'm fuck your Prius. I'm worried about the deer. You did not once say how how the deer managed to because a Prius and a deer might be 50-50. Right? Cuz that little thing wouldn't be powerful enough to pull a greasy string out of a cat's ass, much less run over a deer. Have you ever hit a deer? I've never hit a deer. I would be completely mortified if I did so. I, I once in 1994 
unfortunately and inadvertently ran over a bunny rabbit, and I didn't want to drive for a week. He ran right out in front of me. And I was, it was the little neighborhood deer, or neighborhood bunny. So it was a deer. And No, I, I had deer on the brain because of you had just said. It was a little neighborhood bunny rabbit that I would see run down the side of the road whenever I came in for my Smoky Mountain shows. And then suddenly, one night, for no apparent reason, he darted right out in front of me out of nowhere when I'd never even seen him. And I couldn't, I couldn't avoid it. I once had a deer coming back from an ECW show. Well, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Oh, I wasn't driving. I was in Georgianne Macropolis's minivan, and it was me and a bunch of other people coming back from, like, the Lou Temple in the middle of Pennsylvania. And, like, one in the morning, whatever it was, she hit a deer, and it totaled her minivan. Oof. And then we had the, like, a three in the morning. Somehow she rented a Lincoln Continental. <laughs> and she drove us all back into the city. <laughs> she rented a Lincoln Continental at three o'clock in the morning. That was the only thing they had that could fit whatever it was. Six Who people. Who was they? Where did she rent a car at three o'clock in the morning back then? I don't even remember, actually. That's a good question. She somehow got one. It was a Lincoln Continental. Oh, well, now you, you didn't actually see the rental process. Just somebody brought Georgiana no, I mean, Lincoln Continental. I believe that. It was a rental place. I don't remember if it was a Hertz or a... Or in anything else, uh, budget? Yeah, I don't know who else exists in this field. Avis, they try harder. They're out there, too. And then, uh, but, uh, you know. But yeah, the, the deer totaled the car, and then the deer got knocked into the woods, and we never saw it again. Well, now, you didn't even go down there and see if it needed help? I don't want to, no. No. Were you hard-hearted? We needed hand. help. We had a totaled car. But at least you were up walking around. What am I going to do if the deer's hurt? Well, nothing. You, you're gonna you're gonna call for a, a helicopter to bring a veterinarian to euthanize the poor thing. I'm gonna have an awful a, vision. A veterinarian hair yeah. airlifted, 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 yeah, airlifted into the fucking scene to take care of a situation like that. Call the goddamn Department of Wildlife. For the rest of my life, I would have had that vision in my head of that deer just down there. All fucked up from Georgianne's minivan. Still looking breathing. At, looking up at you going, why? Yeah. Why would why? I want that? I can't do anything to help the deer. Better to just stay up here and talk to Eddie Goldman. Well, you know what you can do to help people, Brian, in this holiday season, in these trying times? No, what's that? You can order merchandise from jimcornet.com. Because I'll have you know that I'm pleased to announce that the Midnight Express 40th Anniversary Action Figure 4-Pack Set, the limited edition action figure set, book, photo, and certificate of authenticity that has been selling so well since the pre-orders began in September. The first royalty checks have gone out to the various members of the Midnight Express for early Christmas, and they are very thankful, and we appreciate everybody that has ordered and either has received their sets, or if you have not received them yet, if you ordered, it's locked in. You're not going to get left out. We've had a few people email going, oh, geez, it's been a while. I don't want them to run out. Well, no, your order is locked in. We have the inventory computerized, thanks to the Feather Bottoms. And thanks to the Feather Bottoms, hundreds and hundreds of those have already been delivered, and hundreds more will be going out over the next couple of weeks. We're trying to clear up not only the pre-orders, but also up to date on those Midnight Express action figure sets by Thanksgiving so that everybody has a Merry Christmas, and you can too if you haven't already jumped in, but I would hurry 
Get in line now because we are still a bit backed up on the midnight sets. And if you want any other Jim Cornette merchandise, action figures of myself, uh, Cult of Cornette membership certificates, books, DVDs, T-shirts, and more, we're having about a 14-day turnaround on that stuff. So hop in now and fulfill all your Christmas shopping at jimcornette.com. And I know you've you've probably gone through and gotten all of the lumps of coal and rotten potatoes that you're going to be handing out to the kids in your various stockings and neighborhoods this this year, right, Brian? I've already spent a good deal of money, and uh, Suzanne has spent a good deal of the money uh, buying gifts for all the family members, so it's already being worked on. A good deal of the money. A good deal of the money uh, buying the gifts, and. When you when the kids came up to your house trick or treating, what did you give them? Did you give them stock advice? Did you run them off with a garden hose? Did you tell them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get a job? What what were you giving out at Halloween when the kids came around last manor? Well, I, I personally don't deal with that stuff. Uh, Suzanne uh, deals with it, and uh, we had some other people here, some families, so uh, we let them answer the door. Deal oh, with I was going to wait. No, wait, have you hired people to answer the door and run the kids off on Halloween? I didn't run any kids off. We want to celebrate in this nice neighborhood, uh, everyone having a good, safe time on Halloween. But we, um, the big thing for us has been the trunk or treat, not really the trick or treat. Trunk or treat? Trunk or treat. You, you put a trunk of treats on your porch and then let the kids just rummage through it no i guess it's uh the school organizes it and uh, various schools do this because we've had a few different schools for different kids do this instead of sending your kids out to strangers houses strangers who may be whacked out like you hey instead of that you create a safe environment like the school parking lot and all the parents park their cars so the back is facing the uh <laughs> You're back into the spot, I guess. Whatever. No, I guess you park regular. You park regular. Listen, you park regular. And then you open your trunk. And then in there, you have just a plethora of candy and treats and surprises. And you dress it up and you put things. And you. some of the parents really got into it and dressed up themselves. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you want me, if I was a parent... You want me just on the say-so of somebody down at the school to bring my kid and let him wander around in a fucking dark parking lot with a bunch of goddamn strangers' fucking trunk lids up with goddamn bait in the trunks of the car like like fucking a bunch of mouse traps open with cheese in it drawing it. these little crumb-snatching rugrats into the trunk where the lid can be slammed down and they can be driven off just like that. I've seen these goddamn TV programs. After the average trunk or treat event, how many of these little kids comes up missing? First of all, it's in the middle of the day. Second of all, you walk around to each car with the kid. Third of all, this is exactly why we want to keep these kids away from people like you and your weirdo, sicko, perverted mind and all these things you concoct. What's the use of going around trick-or-treating in a costume and getting candy in the middle of the day? That's like trying to go to a haunted house at two in the afternoon. How scared can you be? But how did your kid get absconded there? Kids aren't interested in the scary part. They want the candy. They want the candy. And by the way, so do the adults. I was telling my kid, get the Whoppers, you know, get the Twix, get the Kit Kat, go for those. Get away with that Whopper, Burger King Whoppers? No Whoppers. What are those Wait a minute. Next week or next year, I'm going to get a costume. Are they Whoppers? What are they? The little chocolate 
Like, they're not milk duds because they don't just ruin your teeth. I There's a lot of difference between a milk dud and a Whopper. But whatever, my kid, Suzanne, created an amazing custom Wednesday Addams costume because like, my kid is into the Wednesday Addams TV show that's on now. And they announced the winner of the costume contest for kids is my daughter, Wednesday Addams. Some other fucking little Wednesday Addams gets up there. This little what? pudgy kid had a wig falling off her head. The outfit looked like shit. There were multiple Wednesday Addams. Well, there were two. And this one ran up there first. And they didn't know any different. They fucking, you know, judge dressed like a fucking clown. Well, why didn't you go up there as Gomez and say, hey, now wait, it's, it's not because this were, Wednesday. Well, th that was the problem. Here were it's, my options. It's that Wednesday. My option was to tell my daughter, fuck these people. We're going to get ice cream. Or to go up there in front of all the parents and the kids and the townspeople and go up there and say, <laughs> no, of the town. this kid's costume sucks. Just look at her and look at my kid. Custom made. A custom made Wednesday Adams. Custom made from head to toe. <laughs> she looks Woo! great. This kid looks like Wednesday Adams, not that other kid. That's what I. Th that's what you should have. You should have gone up there and said, "I demand a Wednesday off." They would have chased me out of there and with pitchforks. No, no. Then you could you could have done the deal of Wednesday. It's a Wednesday challenge, and I want to hear the goddamn amount of applause when I hold my hand over this Wednesday's head, and that. And you could have let the people, the people. Could have been the, 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 the pickers of the winner there. And they could have, you know, registered their approval or disapproval of the whole, of the whole thing. Yeah, listen, things have gone from bad to worse. They're blowing the leaves next door. I'm just saying something oh, now. No, here we I'm go saying now. something now because you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. Everyone's going to uh, hear gonna, it. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. But trunk or treat in general is a good thing. I think it's a good thing to do, and uh, it's a safe thing, and it's a fun thing, and uh, there's lots of candy, and you get to pick it out with your kids uh, covertly. Safe, fun thing. I wasn't about the candy when I threw most of the candy away because I only really ate three Musketeers bars when I was a kid. But what? <laughs> I like to dress up. I got the I, one year I had, I, we went down to Caulfield's Novelty, and I got the actual $8 uh, a rubber Frankenstein whole head mask, and my mom made me foam rubber uh, shoulder pads and a chest pad there, and we got green uh, hand makeup, and I got big old clumpy boots, and a and and, and we we used Herman Munster's ensemble as as the uh, <laughs> the pattern for this, and I looked quite Frankensteiny. I have a picture of myself here in the family oh. archives. Can we put that on a T-shirt? I did well. I th it's very. I, it was probably copyrighted still by Universal because it's the actual Frankenstein. They wouldn't be able to tell it's me. It'd be I don't just know if their the face. Yeah, I don't know if their license from the 1960s rubber mask continues in the photos, to photos from then, published now in 2023. But on T-shirts being sold, you never know about these things. We're gonna have to. We'll have to put uh, our team on that. But All nevertheless, right. where were we, what were we talking about? This has we, been Reggie's oh, the, Corner. Try, no, that was done a while ago. Trunk or treat. You treated the kids. I understand that they had a Halloween. This is where I was going with this. We got sidetracked. Anything to stay away from the wrestling. They had a Halloween special in the NWA is where I was going with this. I don't know how they pronounce the name of their pay-per-view. I've seen it written down. Sam Hain? Was that it? Do you have any insight into how that's pronounced? 
it seems that your thought process has been the same as mine when it comes to what the hell is the name of this pay-per-view. Did you see how many buys the pay-per-view got? Is that a real number? I've, I've, I've saw something in the hundreds, but maybe a few thousands. I saw 212. Okay, <laughs> well, but then it was a few hundred. Um, <laughs> but apparently the, the most popular scene from that pay-per-view has spread on, on Twitter and around various places, and that's why we're talking about it, because otherwise who would give a shit? But... They shot themselves in the foot, apparently, at the NWA because they had a scene on their pay-per-view ordered by 212 people and, you know, whoever was in the room at the time that has apparently angered or disenchanted the CW network that they were just announcing they had landed programming on into... Pretty much saying, ah, we're not going to put that on after all. Maybe we'll stream it somewhere. And in two minutes, they shot them, to, not even in the foot. I think this is a full-fledged dick shooting here. But they angered the network that they were just bragging about getting on before they've ever even been on it yet to the point where now they're probably not going to get on it. That's the summary of the fucking situation. And they didn't do it for a finish or a match or a, a edgy character that was going to get over like a Stone Cold Steve Austin or whatever. The f they did it for a comedy fucking bit where the announcers are speaking at ringside about something and suddenly their their attention is is focused on something going on in the room and they've got a table or a booth set up like a like they're trying to make it look like a VIP area in a club or something with he'll always be Daryl Van Horn to me but Father James Mitchell is how the kids know him the devil and he's surrounded by a group of not even good strippers expensive strippers but like trailer trash fucking tattooed strippers and weird-looking people dressed dodgily and they're swigging big bottles of booze and it looks like Scarface where they're actually snorting piles of cocaine off of the table. And the, and the announcers are having to talk about this and kind of, oh my gosh, look what's going on up there. Holy mackerel. While the, the camera's just shooting it over and over. And for no apparent reason. And uh, now we find out that that's a scene that they said Billy Corgan specifically wanted to have in the pay-per-view. And <laughs> I guess one of the 212 people that purchased this thing works for CW and said, ah, yeah, what the fuck are we doing? Brian, do you have any further enlightenment to add on this developing situation first let's say the obvious this is one of the funniest stories in the history of wrestling <laughs> within a few weeks the nwa who has done nothing for a while billy corgan bought the rights to it they did one taping with jim Cornette. that got a lot of attention nothing since has there are fans upset about who he makes the nwa champion but other than that you never hear anything about the nwa then we hear 
they're bringing back the territories, <laughs> which I guess I guess the James Mitchell segment was in the Miami territory. I'm not yeah. sure <laughs> what territories they're bringing Actually, back. Actually, 1984 Mid South wasn't far off, but go ahead. <laughs> and then we hear that they're about to announce, I think, two different TV deals with a top 20 network. And then word comes out at CW mm-hmm. that it may be for a wrestling show and a reality show. And that's the last we hear of it until, for whatever reason, the promoter, I never thought I'd say this, without the restraints of a Dave Lagana, <laughs> the promoter thought it was a good idea to have, I don't even know what his, uh, James Mitchell's current character is. I'm going to assume he's a heel manager, but I don't know. He is the living incarnation of uh, debauchery and, and uh, devilishness. So it kind of, I mean, it, it, I'm not saying it wouldn't be something that he would be doing if he was just in a club somewhere, but uh, being broadcast on the pay-per-view, I'm not sure that it it was fitting for the scene. That's a real devilish fucking gimmick. He got the promotion canceled. (laughs) For whatever reason, the manager's in the back of the room doing cocaine. Cocaine. By the way, cocaine, not really as safe as it used to be when it wasn't safe years ago. Not safe at all nowadays. I wouldn't be promoting that. The Surgeon General in recent years has come down heavily <laughs> against cocaine use, especially off the tits of tattooed trailer strippers. And like you said, it was a throwaway thing. It wasn't like all of a sudden in the middle of the match, not that this would make it any better. Like, oh my God, he's doing rails off the ropes. What's happening? It wasn't even that. It was just, hey, what's happening in the back of the room where no one's paying any attention? And, and who are these people with one person that we recognize and a bunch of fucking ugly women and weird fucking guys? And the fans sitting around kind of looking at them and laughing like, what the fuck is going on here? Now you're the CW and you want wrestling content. And we could say we've heard for a while, going back to, I believe, the early part of the spring, that CW was looking for wrestling content and they were talking yeah. to various people. So you're the CW. You want wrestling content. Somehow Billy Corgan gets in that door. Maybe it's a Smashing Pumpkins fan. Who knows what? But he gets in that door. And if we are to believe what was reported, made the deal, made a sale. And, and he may, in the process of going in that door, may have done the old shoulder-to-shoulder thing with somebody that was almost in that door and kind of got in first. Well, we will see what happens there. But the idea that he goes in there and he says... Hey, we have a pay-per-view coming up. You guys should watch it. (laughs) (laughs) They're watching the pay-per-view, and there are the characters doing cocaine. (laughs) And they're like, no, you know what? Now we have the option. We could do a deal with a Billy Corgan and the NWA, or we could do a deal with a serious entity. And there are a lot of people... I mean, it's not news to anyone. There's a lot of people looking for TV deals right now. Right now. So... Windows are open. Will the NWA end up, like you said before, on the digital platform of CW, which is that really going to be more valuable than YouTube? I don't well, know. If, they, if, if CW as a television broadcast platform makes a deal with another, what it had, would you say, serious or legitimate yeah. company, then the NWA probably wouldn't be on a streaming platform because a serious legitimate company with any kind of leverage would not want that. Yeah, and don't forget who's out there right now in the field. I mean, you hear CW and you think, oh, no one's really competing for that. It's still in a lot of homes. And right now, MLW is still going along. So obviously, they're always looking for TV. 
the NWA, look at what's happened here. Impact is stuck on Impact's TV channel, I believe. I don't think anything would happen yeah. there. Dave Marquez has shows syndicated all over the country. You have to think someone like that would be in talks with a network like, or a, an, almost an old school network in the sense, CW, like that, about shows. NXT's out there too. Don't forget about that. I mean, everyone's thinking NXT and Raw have to be bundled together. They don't have to be bundled together. I'm sure that's something that WWE would prefer, but NXT is out there too. Well, and, and also for the benefit of some of the younger listeners that don't really understand network television versus a national cable network, the CW is an offshoot of several upstart networks from the late 90s, early 2000s. Remember, SmackDown was originally on a network called the UPN Network, United Paramount Network. And uh, OVW here was on a station locally that was an affiliate, one of the larger affiliates with the WB Network for Warner Brothers. We were WBKI. And God damn it! and then CW, was, there was something else going on, then there were some mergers. But at one point, these three... Maybe you're going to look that up or Google it. But these three networks had signed up affiliation deals with as many local broadcast television stations as they could. So now, while the CW doesn't have a big-time presence in terms of network programming that a lot of people watch, they have affiliations with tons of local broadcast stations in a lot of TV markets all over the country. And with people cutting the cord, as the kids call it, this is TV you can get with a goddamn antenna for free, literally for free. If you live in fucking Cleveland and you got a WB station, you can get it with a goddamn antenna. So it's not, uh, it's not Fox, but it's certainly a widespread uh, distribution that doesn't depend on your cable companies and cable networks. What's the other one I'm thinking about? UPN, WB, and what? How do we get to CW? Well, I think those are the two big ones. I'm looking here on Wikipedia. WB and UPN both launched within one week of each other in January 1995, just as the Fox network had started to secure a foothold with American television audiences. And the CW is it's derived from the first letters of the names of the two founding co-owners, CBS Corporation and Warner Brothers. It's owned by Nexstar, and it replaced the WB and UPN. I'm trying to see exactly how that happened. But you brought up there... Uh, it in, happened when they had a lot of shows that nobody was watching. Well, you brought up, you know, that they still have uh, different channels across the country. They're, affiliates is a word you could use. The biggest affiliate is Channel 11 now in New York. I always talk about every year they do uh, March of the Wooden Soldiers, and they do the U-Log and everything. That's their biggest affiliate now, Channel 11 in New York, which has the Mets and Yankees. So if a wrestling program was on... The CW network, they would be on WPIX Channel 11 in New York, and that ain't, ain't a bad station to be on if you're wanting people to watch your program. No, and it's a younger audience, I believe, for that channel, because a lot of the programs they have, I know my kids have watched some of the DC comic shows on there. It's a younger audience, and it's a different audience than the USA Network, and 
you know, again, I'm, I'm just focusing on NXT right now, but any of these people getting on that channel would be a big thing. It's interesting to think about NXT doing that. The other interesting thing is we heard the Billy Corgan thing was for two shows, a wrestling show and a reality show. Is that something that CW does want, two shows? Well, and there was also the discussion that Billy Corgan's wedding would be a part of some type of reality program. I I don't know if there's clamoring people clamoring to, you know, see footage after the fact of Billy Corgan's wedding these days, except maybe for family members of the lucky bride and groom. But you know that some kind of reality television show about wrestling with what we just saw them try to portray on their pay-per-view, that might be something we're glad we're not ever seeing. Can you think about what the fuck would go on there with a bunch of really wannabe indie level, hey, let's stir people up doing a reality show? They'd all look like fucking morons. The cocaine thing, again, it all comes back to like everything we say about AEW. The boss matters. The mindset of the boss matters. And everyone's a big wrestling fan. And some big wrestling fans have a lot of money and they want to put it into wrestling. But they still may not know what really makes it tick. They may know some of what they like and they may have weird, I'm not even saying weird, they may have things outside of wrestling that they enjoy that other people wouldn't and they combine the two things. You know, I don't know if anyone watches football and says, you know, I wish someone would just do rails of cocaine in the middle of the fucking game. <laughs> not even a player, just someone in the stands. Show them doing cocaine. But it goes into that. And, you know, when you're trying to weigh the future of professional wrestling and you look at the current crop of whatever you want to say, indie promoters or mid-level promoters, it's scary because no one has the right sensibilities to understand what makes this work. And it seems like everyone is their own worst enemy. Well, that, and that's the thing. It was completely self-inflicted and it was complete. There was absolutely no possible return on risk. Okay. We're going to, we're going to stir some people up and potentially offend some people and have this scene or whatever. What money is it going to draw us? What is it going to, what TV network are we going to get on because of this instead of off? What <laughs> income, what tickets are we going to sell? What Guy, are we going to get ragingly over? No, it's just a goofy scene in the middle of another chaotic modern wrestling promotion. And most of the fans would probably say, oh, look at that shit. But the people who matter, as I've mentioned many times, all it takes is a big sponsor or a programmer at one of, the, one of your main stations or your main station to get pissed off. And they don't need the fucking wrestling especially if it's not WWF. Next month, the NWA is promising the first overdose ever on live pay-per-view. What do you think? Uh, and that's probably what they thought. What in, what in the, maybe they thought that was real. Who knows? Maybe it was real. I don't know. But may, these TV people, they don't. They understand the concept of pro wrestling. They don't follow it closely or understand why some of these things would happen. And if they are fans of a previous generation of wrestling that have now established positions of prominence, but they're in their 40s or whatever. Yes, they're thinking back to the Attitude Era, but they've got, they're, they're working in television today. So they, I would think they would almost have to be told any television programmer today, no, we're not going to do what you used to see when you were 20 years old in high school in 1999. We will not have women flashing their tits in the goddamn audience. 
that's a it, it when you've tried to sell wrestling to tv programmers ever whether it's now or whether it's 40 years ago or whenever it was most of the time you're not going to find a guy in the position to put you on a television station or a network who is currently a fan right now and watching and knows everything that goes on. But especially in the territory days, you were liable to find one. There was a fan when he was a kid in that area that used to sneak under the fence to see Ron Wright in Kingsport when he was 12 years old or a similar story about Dusty in, in Georgia or whatever. And as long as you could give those people a program that wasn't going to cause them any fucking trouble, was not going to get complaints from people calling in that the boss of the whole station, who might be a Christian or a teetotaler, you know, whatever the fuck, you weren't going to see uh, the, the devil himself with a pitchfork or you weren't going to see a bunch of fucking drunks or whatever the the spot was that might trip his trigger then you could get on the air and stay on the air and people would watch the program. But once you pissed off whatever the fucking sore spot was in that market or that person or whatever, it didn't matter whether people were watching or not because they didn't need wrestling as bad as you needed them. <sighs> well, you know, Brian, you know where Billy Corgan made his mistake, don't you? No. Because there, there was only a couple of hundred people that figured out how to watch that program but even then, they knew where he was. If he had been smart enough to use our friends at ExpressVPN, then those programmers at CW, they wouldn't have known what they were watching. They would have thought it was some kind of wrestling from Russia or Bulgaria well, or the Isle of Malta. I mean, there's some level of something in what you just said that almost ties to what the sponsor does, but I don't think what they do has anything to do with whatever it is you just described there to watch the NWA pay-per-view event. Well, the point is, if you're on the internet, you don't want the internet service providers to know your business. And they do, because every time you go to a website, every time you have online activities, they know it. And then they can sell that information to ad companies, tech giants, street corner enforcers, blackmailers, extortionists. Can you imagine? There Whoa. is a guy named Guido that lives up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, he's on their list. When they find out something about you folks out there in podcast land that you wouldn't want your wife or significant other to know, this guy named Guido will knock on your door and you will have to pay him every week to not spill the beans. I'll pay Guido to knock off the neighbor's gardeners right now. Well, no, that's a completely different branch of the, uh, the business. Of Guido, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's Guido Incorporated to you. But nevertheless, that's what you don't want these internet service providers doing. It, it's like leaving your windows wide open and people being able to see in and everybody knows. I think you could agree with this, Brian. I think everybody out there could agree that the most fulfilling feeling in life is being able to walk around your home with the curtains wide open, naked as the day you were born, your appendages flapping in the breeze, Without a care in the world. Everybody does that on a daily basis, right? No, I don't think everyone does that. Uh, certainly not on a daily basis. I don't know if everyone would agree that that's the most liberating moment you could have in your life or whatever you said. 
Well, that's because they don't have ExpressVPN. That's why they don't do that. But, but because why would that, VP- wouldn't it be more liberating to do that outside than inside? Well, you can get arrested for shit like that. But folks, if you're in your own home, when you, when you use ExpressVPN, the internet service providers can't see your online activity because your identity is anonymated. It's anonymated. It's animized. It's animated? Anonymized. That's what it is. Anonymized. That's a cool word, man. Anonymized by a secure VPN server, and your data is encrypted for maximum protection. On phones and laptops and routers and modems and everybody that shares your Wi-Fi or the neighbors that are leeching off your Wi-Fi or however that's that, that that's going to come to an end, you're going to be an island unto yourself and nobody's going to know where you are. As a matter of fact, your relatives are going to be calling the authorities. They're going to be trying to do welfare checks. But those cops knocking on your door, they're not going to know you're there. With ExpressVPN, until the smell wafts through the open windows, nobody's going to know where you are. I don't know what kind of example this is, and that is really, again, some element of what the sponsor does, but I'm not sure that's what we should talk about. I think when you think about ExpressVPN, it's the ability to see programs sometimes that are on different services that are only available in other countries. With ExpressVPN, you are not in any country. They're, they're geographically restricted. There's an apartheid on some of these programming that you, can, you can't get them in some places unless you go through the folks at ExpressVPN because they have no prejudices. Yeah. Yeah. And you can secure your online activity. So nobody, including Guido, is going to be able to tell your significant other that you were visiting that particular website that has all those cool videos. So. Right now, folks, secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash JCE today. That's Express, once again, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash JCE. You're going to get an extra three months free, three months of protection. That's 90 condoms. Expressvpn.com slash jce three months protection for for extra three months for free from from the danger that you're in from people peeking in at you parading your tallywhacker around in your own living room again i don't think that's exactly what this does but expressvpn is your way to do what you need to do with expressvpn hang out let it all hang out or something like that you want to do be what you want to be, go where you want to go, and nobody will know a thing about it because... The Fifth Dimension's been out of style for a while. Yes, express well, but Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. had a hell of a career after that. ExpressVPN.com slash JCE. All right. Can I just say something officially? Yes, yes if, if you would like. I'd like to murder the neighbor's gardeners right now. I, I knew you were going to bring that up. I actually can hear some semblance of, of of leaf maneuvering manipulation going on over there across the uh, the way from Last Manor. Now they've, got, they've got a guy on a fucking. They've got a guy driving something, and then they got three other people with fucking leaf blowers, and they're working in tandem. 
to blow it into the woods. Yeah, but now you're doing a, a fucking Dominic Mysterio. You're jacking the the sound level up so we can hear them. <laughs> no, I'm not. No. Yes, you are. All right. Speaking of uh, jacking some levels up, apparently AEW is their ticket sales are are jacked, and the levels are not coming up. Um, you have some information. Because as we mentioned, this is going to be a WWE heavy program because they did the crown jewel this weekend and set up a couple things for it on SmackDown. We're going to talk about that here in a little while. But the AEW live events that we we started talking about, the Yum Center crowd here in Louisville last week that was abysmal. And we're not trying to glorify in their misery, but there's a point to be made here in that when you lose something, when when you're a wrestling promotion, historically, traditionally, territory bookers, national companies, whatever, it's easier to keep it going than it is to get it back after you lose control of it. And I believe that Tony has lost his grip on this thing, along with potentially, is this the the beginning of the public you know, the, the public evidence of he's cracking the fuck up because now it's just completely outlaw wrestling. It's just completely indie and everybody's getting hurt. And the people that the fans want to see are either hurt or fired or both. And the shows make very little sense. And much of the top talent is miscast because in Tony's world, all this shit still makes sense, but he's run off and left most of us because it don't to most of everybody else. And that's when you, you will see this in the history of every promotion, good and bad. It's harder to lose the grip on it and get it back than it is to just keep it going once you've got it. And we've been saying for a long time, even if you love everything Tony's ever done, Look at the fucking guy and over the past few years and the workload and the frazzledness and the chaos and he's going to sooner or later something is going to necessitate him taking a long rest in a warm springs Georgia or something, isn't it? And nothing else is coming easy too. I mean, I just saw footage over this past weekend of, I guess, fans in England, his fans, his soccer teams, his football clubs, fans. Like storming, not storming, but marching in the streets and holding up signs during the game because they're being priced out. And then in Jacksonville, there's a big debate about the stadium. So nothing's coming easy right now for them. And so you have some information on upcoming ticket sales to the events, do you not? Well, you know, we talk a lot about this stuff and a lot of people send us stuff. I decided to sign up for WrestleTix on Patreon, support them because they're doing this kind of stuff. And you sign up today, you get 6,000 emails tomorrow. <laughs> We've received a lot of emails. Let me see this one, because a lot of these say first count, and I guess that means when they first started selling. But for instance, uh, November 22nd, Dynamite is coming to the Trust Arena, Chicago, Illinois. The available amount of tickets right now are 3,107. The current setup is 5,224. And the amount of tickets still distributed 
Oh no, the, the amount of tickets overall distributed right now, excuse me, 2,117. The last time they were in Chicago, June 21st, 6,291. And the last time they were in Chicago, they got some bad news, didn't they? Uh, was Mindy's Bakery closed? No, that's where they were. That was the the middle of the punk incident, was it not? He wasn't there. That was the first one he missed. That's right. Because when was uh, Wembley? I know the number. Oh, I don't know the it. date. Um, these things blur in my mind. Boy, we look prepared now. <laughs> when when Wembley was the no Wembley was the end of August. I thought they were in Chicago after. This says last time here. Maybe it's last time in this building, Wintrust Arena. That's what it is. Because they were in Chicago the following week, right? You're right. The, okay, for a pay-per-view. So, okay. So you see, you led me down the garden path there. That's the point is they were not in that arena. But the last time they were in that arena, they did better. And then they shit the bed when they fired the fucking hometown hero the week before the, the last pay-per-view there, and now they've sold 2,000 tickets two weeks out for a national television program. Well, let's give some good news. Here's the ticket sales as of uh, as of three days ago as we are recording. AEW World's End Pay-Per-View, Nassau Coliseum, Uniondale, Long Island. Available tickets right now, 2,178. The current setup, 7,317. And there are currently 5,139 tickets distributed. So that's pretty good for a pay-per-view at the end of December right now, right? Well, but... For them. The Nassau Coliseum... Nassau? Is that it? Nassau that's, Coliseum? That's a way I've never heard it said, but go ahead. The Nassau Coliseum <laughs> seats 18,000 people, doesn't it? If uh, you use it... I don't know if it's that many. I don't know if it's that many, but... Uh, I've been there. They renovated it. Did they make it smaller? Well, potentially, sometimes that happens. But nevertheless, it's a goddamn major arena. So they're setting it up for 7,000, which is less than half of capacity. And then they've got 5,000 tickets out, and it's the New York City market. <laughs> they have 32 executive suites, and for capacity basketball, it's 14,500. Ice hockey, 13,917. Tennis, 6,500. <laughs> Concerts, 15,000. And the theater is 4,500. Okay, they've made it smaller than when they, with the boxes or whatever. Because when we used to go in the 90s, that was a sixteen or 17,000 seat building at minimum. But nevertheless. But nevertheless, that was uh, their upcoming show there. Hold on. AEW Collision. Wichita, Kansas. This just took place oh, Saturday, boy. November 4th. The available tickets at the end were 374, with a setup of 3,219, and 2,845 tickets distributed. 2,800 people in Wichita. I guess, you know, that's that's better than 5,000 in Chicago. Ooh, but they put up, oh, he put up a fucking map of the fucking building, and you see how big it is. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. It's one thing if you're running the building's Ring of Honor ran. Then it's packed. Then it's holy shit. Then you have energy. You know, even if you took the fans that are going to Dynamite and Collision and you put them in a smaller building where they were squeezed in more, you'd at least get more energy out of it. 
you, it is a better atmosphere. It's better for the guys in the ring. It's better for the announcers. It's better for the look on television. If you have, well, I mean, you weren't there, but you've seen the tape of the bluegrass brawl in Pikeville, Kentucky. The first one we did the first year when oh, it was just so massively, yeah, that's a great show. Ridiculously oversold though. And it was the goddamn ragingest crowd when they're packed in like that. And they're into it to begin with then the closeness, you know, magnifies that. And now here's a question that somebody out there or some of our little birds ought to answer. I have heard that there's been terminology used when Tony talks about it. Well, we have to run these buildings. Some Are they, and we don't know this, or maybe somebody out there does, have they gotten into some kind of sucker deal with some arena booking company that they have to run these big buildings, that they have signed contracts way out in advance, or that that it is out of their hands, or is their in-house booking agent taking cuts on the side from these buildings? Or so, yeah. What's that's that's is, what I would look at first. Well, what is the what's the reasoning? What is the goddamn? How is anybody justifying at this point renting twenty thousand seat arenas and not selling three thousand tickets? Well, here's another show, Jim. Wednesday, December 13th, coming up, College Park Center, Arlington, Texas, for Dynamite. And that's Dallas, by the way. That's uh, Arlington and Dallas are pretty much joined at the hip. It's not even a distant suburb. The map here, uh, it starts with like, it only shows you one row from the camera side, and then everything else is the rest of the building. Available tickets right now, 995. The current setup, 2,300, excuse me, 2,561, and the tickets distributed are 1,566. And uh, 1,500 in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. There are local spot shows that are doing that. Well, this coming week, uh, this is as of two days ago, I'll see if there's anything else current, Dynamite will be in Portland at the Moda Center. Available tickets, 852. Current setup, 4948. Tickets distributed, 4096. Wow. Last time they were there, January 6th for Rampage at the Veterans Memorial Coliseum, 5,083 tickets. You know, if you can do 4,000 people, well, that's because all the Seattle crew, their family and friends are driving down, right? Well, also, it has a note here. There are two offers. I have a code for the buy three, get one free <laughs> offer. That's the first time I've seen buy one, get two free offer. Oh. So a couple different offers out there. Now, wait a minute. If you buy three and get one free, but then you buy one and get two free, then together. Oh, yeah. It's only... a buy one, get two. Now, I was thinking buy two, get one. Wow. Buy no. one, get two. Well, but if you but then in that case, if you buy four, you get eight. And with six, you get egg roll. Why aren't they telling people what an affordable night for the family this is? Because <laughs> <laughs> by one ticket, take eight people. <laughs> they don't want people to know, I don't think, until the last minute. And, you know, and even that didn't work in Louisville, and they're standing outside handing them out. Here's the thing. We're, we're joking and we're laughing, but Tony, I will leave you with, again, some advice. Bow the fuck out. And... <laughs> At this point, I don't even trust Tony to be able to appoint a new booker because of his completely bad judgment about everybody he does business with. 
but he needs to recognize that somebody needs to take that fucking thing over, that he needs to weed out the shitty talent, and even if some of the talent isn't shitty, focus on what you want to do instead of trying to do everything, because everybody's not a goddamn mark of every sub-genre and niche product of wrestling in the history of the world, and do a focused sports-based presentation like you teased people about to begin with, and try to make some new talent instead of reliving your childhood fantasies now that you can collect all the WCW wrestlers from the 90s. And, you know, but it's going to take a while to get it back. It's not going to get better than this in the next few months, or maybe at all ever. But even if they tried now, you can't turn the battleship on a dime. So if they started now, putting every, all the talent different places, making more attractive matchups, trying to do a serious program, weeding out all the fucking, you know, juvenile tomfoolery that Tony and a lot of them are, you know, wrapped up in, it'd be, it'll be months before you see a change at the arenas. So... Hey, speaking of battleships, quickly, let's do some WWE numbers just for comparison's sake. Friday, this coming Friday, as we are recording, November 10th, Nationwide Arena, Columbus, Ohio, SmackDown. Available tickets, 416. Current setup, 7305. Tickets distributed, 6,889. Yeah, so they're going to be full. Last time they were there, December 26th for a live show, 6,459. So more fans, obviously, this time. Well, and not only are they consistent, but there's a slight increase. Can't be a big increase. Building's not big enough. But so you've got one company that's dropping each time they return, diminishing returns. You got another company that's actually doing better than the last time they were there. Last night, as we are recording, WWE Super Show, Sunday, November 5th, the Mass Mutual Center Arena, Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, I guess there were 944 tickets still available as the show went on. 4,702 is the setup. 3,758 were the tickets distributed. Well, and that was a B show in Springfield, Massachusetts, because everybody was coming back from Saudi Arabia. 7 p.m. show, Springfield, Massachusetts. Last time they were there, 3,791, so just off that. The Survivor Series, I mean, it's a pay-per-view, but real quick, Allstate Arena, Rosemont, Illinois, November 25th, Saturday. That's good to know for us. <laughs> Available tickets, 1,168. Current setup, 16,860. Tickets distributed, 15,687. Yeah, they're probably going to be full, too. Monday, and, Monday Night oh, Raw. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say... um well, you can give that, but the pay-per-view for AEW before that, Full Gear, in Los Angeles is still, what, around six or 7,000 at last I saw? I have to check. I haven't seen the numbers currently. But uh, one more, just an example here. Monday Night Raw coming up at the Bridgestone Arena, Nashville, Tennessee, on November 27th. Available tickets, 2,941. The current setup? 10,579, and there are currently 7,638 tickets distributed. 
7,500 people in Nashville for the end of December already. So that's going to be healthy. End of November. End of November. End of November. I'm sorry. Almost December. And boy, howdy. Are these shows, have, has wrestling ever been more boring and, and formulaic and by the numbers and rote and going through the motions as WWE wrestling is today? And it's making a fucking fortune. I'm glad those people going live have that much patience. It's hard. You know, I mean, that's the thing you said. It's hard to get them to come back. Like 89 is a great example of that. The NWA had great stuff. If you were a fan, if you were sitting back and watching Flair and Terry Funk, Flair and Steamboat, the rise of Sting, the rise of Muda, it was great stuff. Didn't draw anyone. Yeah. Because they had burned out everyone. It took a while to get everyone to even give them a chance again. They had pissed off the best towns by changing the schedule and taking shows away from them. They had pissed off the uh, a lot of the old-time fans by running off various talent. More was to come. They had made it look like that they were trying to be more like the WWF, which was the reason the base audience didn't like it to begin with, but there was still a huge base audience of several million. And they did all those things that you couldn't compensate for in the ring or you could cut the promo or you could have the great match or you could be over as a wrestler but you couldn't you couldn't fight city hall with the the way the company was run and yay if you don't have a really experienced roster then you're not even getting the the quality program that nobody's watching you're just getting the soft ticket sales that result from people being pissed off about one or more things that don't even have to do with the great matches. And unlike WCW, you can't wait out Jim Hurd. You can't wait out Tony. Tony's, this is his yeah. project. This isn't about making money. This is about Tony doing his project. So there's going to be nonstop frustrations from everyone involved. At this point, when he has an aneurysm and Brian Danielson takes over, that's about the only way that we're going to wait out Tony. I'll tell you. He's a very good wrestler. I would not want Brian Danielson booking my wrestling company, I don't think. He's way too nice a fella. But you know what, Brian? Here's the thing. Sometimes, if things are soft, it's bad. Like ticket sales. But sometimes, if things are soft, it's good. So even if the bad AEW ticket sales being soft is bad... The the clothing you're going to get from the folks down at Marine Layer is good. I'm talking, it's good. It's pee-picking good. We have been talking about our friends at Marine Layer for the past several weeks. Not Lair. It's not a place where villains reside. It's not a place where the arch nemeses of the Justice League gather. It's Marine Layer, L-A-Y-E-R. Possibly started by a relative of our old friend from New York, Kenny Lair. But nevertheless, Marine Lair is the go-to brand we have now for great-fitting and stylish, comfortable clothing. And not only are the T-shirts comfortable, Brian, I think I've got to testify to this now personally because I got a T-shirt for Stacy, And she loves it. She wears it around the house. She wears it when she's painting. She wears it for the variety of... of uh, activities because it's so comfortable you can move around but what i got i'll have you know 
was one of these sweatshirts. Well, I can't even call it a sweatshirt. That makes it sound like it's dingy, like Burgess Meredith would be wearing it when he's working Rocky out or something. It's a long-sleeved, stylish, very warm and comfy, soft, fuzzy shirt that Stace says I've looked very stylish and and suave and deboner in. And in addition, I got it because I wanted something warmer now that it's turning cold and to keep my arms warm since I'm not as fat as I used to be and don't have all that flab to insulate me. But now I'm I'm wearing it around the house even if it's warm. It's so comfy, it's soft, it doesn't and this is the first shirt of this kind that I've ever got because I always get my t-shirts and anything like this a size bigger than I want because I don't like to be constricted. I like to have room to move around and billow out a bit. These things are so comfortable. You can actually order the size you normally would wear and be comfortable in it, which is revolutionary. And they've even got in-between sizes. In-between medium and large is Marge. And that way you get exactly what you... Have you gotten a Marge yet, Brian? I've not gotten a Marge, but I will say this. Look, we only talk about sponsors that we like. We like their products. They sent us some stuff. We liked it. I've already purchased three separate orders since of more of their clothes. I can't even use the promo code because they know who we are. So I'm paying full price. Wait a minute. We've got ExpressVPN. All right. Well, there's always next time, and there will be a next time because their stuff is nice, and I keep buying it, and I like it, and Suzanne says I look very nice. Well, aren't you spiffy? But I'm telling you, and I'm, right. I was snugly warm. I was working out in the yard with the Monroes, and I come in in the, in the living room, and I'm equally comfortable in this incredible shirt. But wherever, whatever you like, they got laid-back overshirts, pants, jackets, all the cozy layering that you'd like to do. And, of course, the incredible T-shirts that are one of the hallmarks of the whole experience. But right now, I think we can all admit that the perfect shirt can be hard to find. We'll look no further than Marine Layer. And for a limited time, that means act fast. You're going to get 15% off with the code JCE15 at Marine layer.com that's marine like gomer Pyle. join the u.s marine semper fi layer l-a-y-e-r marine layer.com the code is jce15 for 15 percent off your entire order of everything multiple shirts and they've got i'm telling sweaters. you they got jock jock straps they don't have jock straps but they, they have, have the warmest jock straps in the they, whole country they certainly don't but they have sweaters they have sweatshirts they have clothes for men and women great stuff very jackets ba- bags they that beautiful carry-on bag well not carry you can carry all in it and you can carry it on or you can carry it away or you can carry it off if you can pull it off but i got the bag and it's lovely too you got the They've bag? They've got all kinds of good stuff. You got the bag? I was left holding the bag. All right, well, you can get the bag from Marine Layer. What's that promo code again, Jim? Again, marinelayer.com, promo code JCE15 for 15% off your entire order of these wonderful, comfy clothes. It's like wrapping yourself in the skin of a warm puppy's belly and blowing your nose. Let's not say that, but let's... 
definitely point out it is comfortable and good stuff. Like I said, personally, I've made several purchases. I think you'll like it too. Marine Lair. To get you to spend money on anything, it has to be good. That's right. You're going to spend some money on soundproofing and baffling for your home studio there, aren't you, if you continue to live next door to this I thought egregious we were woman? I thought we were safe. She's not an egregious woman. It's just I thought we were safe. They never come on this day, and today's the day that her people came for their big uh, spring cleanup. They bring yeah. the big fall cleanup. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> well, we got lots of wrestling to talk about. That'll make me happy. Uh, we certainly do. Well, would you like to delve into the SmackDown? I don't remember if I watched it. You did. You talked to me about it. It's just, it's, it's left our mind after the crown jewel. But uh, again, we're not going to go into play-by-play on any of the matches because they were just there to give you a chance to go up and get a, a sandwich or whatever in between the the monologues or the dialogues. It's either a monologue or a dialogue. If one person is speaking, it's a monologue. If two more are speaking, it's a dialogue. But either way, they pretty much lay the same old log every Friday night, don't they? We get some stars that talk, and then they pesky, they they pester us with these pesky wrestling matches in between. And this one was taped. Yes, because they had to fly over there to Saudi Arabia and create a spectacle over there. But it, 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 there was it, it was made. The show was sold. There was nothing more to to be done in the way of angles or business or whatever. They just need to get the names out there. And apparently, you know, they they know now. Well, Fox is. Not going to be with us too much longer, so fuck them, I guess. <laughs> did you see the quote from Fox? Yes, I did. They basically said we weren't making any money doing this, so we dropped out. Yeah. And that's a cautionary tale. Yeah, that's the last thing you want a programming partner saying as you're negotiating a programming deal. Like WWE is for other programs. But the thing is... It- it's not because the WWE is not drawing viewers or making money itself. It's because these rights fees got so ridiculous for all these sports, right? That they can't forever just keep going up and up. Like the Shitstein said one time, you know, he was delusional. So what happens when business goes down? And he said, oh, if we do it right, it'll never go down. Well, it can't just keep continuing to go up and up and up or you reach a point where you're allegedly selling more tickets than there are people on the fucking planet. At some point, there needs to be a plateau and a valley. And and the other thing, too, is even though you see advertisers on the wrestling shows, even though podcasts like us have advertisers, even though there are wrestling fans in every company all over the world, there still is a weird prejudice against wrestling fans from advertisers as a whole. So, even though WWE SmackDown made the network happy with the amount of viewers they had, Fox being the network, they couldn't make money on that because they're not getting the same advertisers they would for, obviously, the NFL or anything else. It's unfair, too, because we know we've done enough surveys, we've seen who the audience is. There's a bit of everything, but there's a lot of people who educated, uh, high-income jobs. I mean, there's a range of people, and... It's like, at times, it feels like advertisers pretend that it's not there. Well, and with the ticket prices and the merchandise prices these days, if you go, you have to be a high-income earner uh, for any of these major companies. But I'm not sure about the high intelligence with some of them. 
but no, we we do know. And, and it, here's another thing: is our audience is made up of some people who are still interested in wrestling, but many others who were interested in wrestling from a while back when it was good. So they may not be being figured into. Maybe our audience is a little more higher achieving and a little more discerning than the modern wrestling audience these days. Nevertheless, they started with the, they were just hitting the the high points of what crown jewel was going to be. They started with a recap package of LA Knight and Roman and the bloodline and then sent LA Knight out to do a fucking promo and sell the goddamn match. And he does a promo like a wrestler. And he talked with confidence about his match with Roman. You know, it's going to be a hostile takeover and the fans are with him. And then here comes Roman. His music interrupts and the long entrance and the face off. And they go back and forth. We put Roman over a million times. He's great at this. He's belittling to L.A. Knight. But L.A. Knight got the fans behind him with the way he stood up. To Roman, he was he was not intimidated. They were doing a wrestling promo back and forth to each other. And L.A. Knight stood up and had some balls to him, said, I'm, you know, I'm not here to finish anything. I'm here to start something. And they do the back and forth promo, and then the referees get in between them before they can fight, and they shove and trash talk a little bit. And it, it sold the pay-per-view, and both guys did a wonderful job. And I've got no complaint about it, except when it was over, we were 17 minutes into the show, and they said about fucking five minutes worth of shit. And that's the SmackDown way, isn't it? Yes. And that's, they're not doing a lot wrong, but God damn, it takes them a while to do anything. And you know what? Maybe that's the right pace, as opposed to giving everyone nonstop everything, draw it out. There's obviously a reaction to this, so they're getting the results. Yeah, well, they're making the main points, and they're they're getting it over because, as Gary Hart said famously, repetition is the key when dealing with goofs. And you don't want your main points to be confused and jumbled and hidden in a miasma of chaos like over on the other program. But goddamn, when we used to only have an hour... Or in the case of Raw, we used to only have two hours. We could still get the goddamn point across and get some action in the program. Uh, but then speaking of action, Austin Theory against Kevin Owens. So I knew where this was going to go immediately because they've just, with great fanfare, brought Kevin against his will, kicking and screaming from his conjoined twin, Sammy, to be over here on his own on SmackDown. So, of course, he's going to beat Austin Theory. But look, who says Vince McMahon is still in total control of the WWE? Look at Austin Theory next to Kevin Owens and tell me that 25 years ago that anybody would have even come to Vince McMahon with the idea of let's put that pale, flabby, fat, tattooed fuck over that goddamn Greek god-looking 20-something-year-old fucking kid we've just signed. But the indie-rific champion of the world did indeed prevail in this. They went two minutes to the break. They came back for maybe three minutes, and Owens beat him flat in the middle, one, two, three, with a fucking stunner. But the 
standards of being a WWE superstar, at least visually, have changed. Can you imagine in the 80s, if Vince would have hired guys that looked physically like Owens, Dick Murdoch would have been the WWF champion. No, he would have put Owens in a dress. Well, that's true. And and give him a blow-away diet. Um, any comments on that contest or should we move on? We should move on. We should move on. Bailey's bunch beat up Bianca Belair backstage. Did you catch that? The Bailey bunch? The Bailey Bunch. They beat up Bianca Belair backstage. It was brutal. I saw the brutal Bailey Bunch beatdown backstage. And it was Claude Cooper, the kleptomaniac from (laughs) Cleveland, who copped the clean copper clappers left in the closet. Cleaning woman Claire Clifford sounded the alarm. Then Bobby Lashley, the Street Profits, and Logan Paul hugged each other. Then we had Chelsea and Piper against Shotzi and Charlotte, and the babyfaces won in under three minutes. And then we got back to the bloodline. So here comes Paul Lee and Solo to the ring. And Paul cut the fired-up promo on John Cena. How great he was and all that stuff, but he messed with the bloodline and he can't get away with that. And then Solo took the microphone. And told Paul, said, don't waste time talking to these fans. I want to talk to John Cena face-to-face. And then they play John Cena's music. It's amazing how this happens. Just completely off the cuff and totally off the top of people's asses like this. And John Cena comes out. At least he's got his game face on. He didn't do his whole entrance. He was stoic. And I wrote, can he talk after the spike last week? Because remember, I said, after Paul had cut the promo, we're going to take away what's most important to you, Cena, your voice where you can't talk to the people and communicate with your fans. And he got spiked. I said, he better not talk. Well, they split the difference. He came out and he had a raspy voice. So at least they made the nod to it. Um, Cena did not forget all of his Rip Rogers training. And they, you know, basically Solo said, I've got orders from the tribal chief and I'm going to give you a microphone so you can say goodbye while you still can because tomorrow you won't be able to. And Jonna, Jonna, John Cena comes back with the, the raspy voice, but he says goodbye for the fans to Solo who got a job because of his cousin. He's nothing but a bargain basement Taz ripoff. Do you think anybody told John that Taz is working for AEW? Do you think anyone's going to tell John he can't say that? That's a thing. I'm not sure he knows. Think about this. Does John Cena give a fuck what's going on in another company when he's doing movies and he's doing this and he's doing whatever the fuck and he's counting his millions of dollars? Probably not. He may have thought that he was doing a... WWE old school reference. Anyway, apparently, John says he's going to stick Solo's thumb straight up his own ass there tomorrow. And that's what's going to happen to Solo, and he fucking left. And they didn't get in a fight. But they sold the match because there's, to me, on that crown jewel, there was two matches that anybody gave a shit about Roman Reigns, LA Knight, and 
Solo and Cena, and they've just sold both of them. We're, of course, better than an hour into the program, and we've seen two live interviews that are basically serving as advertising for the show that we're supposed to pay for or subscribe to something to see, but at least they were good interviews. What do you think? I thought good interviews. I think they did a good job building up this match, this little feud, and it had to pay off in some sort of significant way, and it did. But unfortunately, now, before we can set up the next interview, we got to have a goddamn match. They had a Donnybrook match with no disqualification, lazy booking, between the Brawling Brutes and Purely Dreary. And the Brutes jump-started it in the aisleway. They had the ring and ringside set up with tables and beer mugs and beer barrels and knickknacks and paddy wax. And obviously, I've invoked the purely dreary rule. I wouldn't watch anything they were involved in. Even if they were in my home movies, I would burn them. But for the finish, somebody went through a table. I know you're shocked. I know you're shocked, but that's what happened. Purely deadly, or if you went to AI and said, well done, this is what would happen. Oh, come on. Rex and Steve looked like goddamn... This is AI, Rex, Rex and Steve. Rex Luger and Arnold Schwarzenegger next to these two fucking... Well, we were an hour and a half into the program. So now we got Nick Aldis in the back with Paul E. And Paul complimented Nick Aldis's suit. It offered some pearls of wisdom. Have a lot of doctors on hand tomorrow for L.A. night. You're going to need them. And then we went to a backstage weigh-in. Because I will. There's another match that had some interest. Logan Paul, Rey Mysterio. And they had the backstage weigh-in. Apparently, they either thought this might go sideways or they just didn't have enough time. <laughs> so they put it in the back. And... It was allegedly in front of the press conference like, you know, audience that you kind of see at the bottom of the screen, the camera shooting over them. But, Brian, is it just, is it modern day or do journal real journalists at press conferences take pictures with their phones now still? is it, They don't have real cameras, even the professional well, journalists? Well, that happens, but let's be honest, you have a camera on the phone that's pretty great. Well, but I, there, there's, it just doesn't look professional. It looks like a bunch of fans taking their own, if if they're doing a press conference, wouldn't they have actual photographers with real cameras there on the scene to? Maybe. I mean, you don't need it. That's one of those things. Every time you hear like clicks nowadays, you're like, why? Like, why is that happening? It seems inappropriate. What do you want? Like a big flash? Well, that would be a little, you know, <laughs> guy throws a fucking blanket over his head and the phosphorus goes up. But anyway, so Logan Paul weighed in at 213 pounds. You could say 230 for him and people would believe it. And Ray weighed in at 175 and maybe he had rocks in his pocket. And they stepped in for the face-off, and Ray slapped Logan Paul, and Logan Paul punched a security guy, and they had a pull apart. And the funniest part of the whole thing was Ray Mysterio bopped Logan Paul on the head with the fucking handheld microphone. That happened at the press conference he had for that boxing match he just had. The guy threw the microphone at him. And oh, he did he? Okay. And he busted him open, yeah. 
Well, then it would be even funnier if I'd have known that, but it was funny the way he did it. And that was the end of that. So that was that. And then our main event came, Bianca versus Bailey. And you may remember that Bailey's bunch beat up Bianca Belair brutally backstage earlier in the evening. A beatdown. It was a beatdown beyond compare. So I wrote main event question mark. No wonder Fox dropped the show. Whatever the finish was, Bianca gave Bailey her finish through the announce desk as we went off the air. It's a, I'm telling you, all the wrestlers should pool their money and buy stock in Home Depot. Because that's, that's, that's where the big money is in wrestling these days, buying the fucking furniture. That's how they should end their last episode on Fox. Someone goes to do something on the table and they hit the other guy with the move and they both just fall into a hole, like an endless hole. <laughs> Shouldn't <it>? Yes. <laughs> Journey to the center of the earth. <laughs> I, w I would love to see them get one of those, the, the, the D-Lo Brown and Balls Mahoney, Boo Bradley table. I've told you that story, right? I don't remember. In Johnson City and Freedom Hall, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Boo Bradley has become a babyface. D-Lo Brown is, is a heel. They're going to have a match. It's, it's a grudge, whatever the fuck. They want to get a little wild. They said, can we break the table? The announcer table at ringside. I said, no, you can't. You can't break that table. I didn't know that I needed to go into detail because that was back when the booker's instructions were not the booker's suggestions. But they got fucking feeling froggy and really going with a street fight match or whatever. And they decided they, they were going to break the table because they had this spot. I didn't tell them that they couldn't break the table because I was refusing to give them permission to break the table. I was telling them that they were not physically capable. It was not humanly possible to break the table that Freedom Hall and Johnson City had as the announce table at ringside because it was one of those spring-loaded fucking tables that folds up in the middle. And when you folded it from the middle out, the biggest... The support was in the middle underneath it, and then the legs were attached to that, and you could run a fucking giant big rig 18-wheeler across this thing, and it would not break, right? So I'm trying to, I'm pretty sure it was D-Lo was slammed on the, the goddamn table, and Boo goes up on the ropes, and he's 325 pounds, and he's going to give the big diving headbutt or the big splash or whatever. And he comes off, and we taped it, he comes off that goddamn deal and fucking landed on D-Lo, and it was like two fucking trout fillets laying on a, landing on a goddamn cast iron frying pan. Just like that. And it nearly killed them both. And the table didn't fucking budge. And then they came back and I said, I told you you couldn't break that table. So we thought you meant that we weren't supposed to. The best table spot I ever saw live was probably when uh, Tracy Smothers and Tom Pritchard at Knoxville, the pile driver through the table. Yes. The way the table broke was amazing. Well, and that was completely ad lib too, because the the way the the spot to break the table in the, again, the big show, the biggest house that we drew that year anywhere, it was fucking 40 grand the house or whatever. 
And it's the dirty white boy and Tracy Smothers against the heavily bodies who have just returned in his fucking wild-ass crazy Southern match. And Tracy was going to backdrop Tom, and Tom was going to go through the fucking table. But when he backdropped him and Tom, he took the bump and kind of rolling in the table didn't break. So fuck, it looked kind of stupid. It was kind of people were like, eh. So I whispered at him as he came over. I said, I said, break the fucking thing. So he grabs Tracy and tells Tracy, give him, give me a pile driver. So Tracy gets him up. And again, this was not the classic table that they sell at Home Depot now that you see being broken at ringside you know, in all these wrestling programs where it's got the fold-out legs and the fucking particle board top. This was an old table. They must have bought 5,000 of these tables in Knoxville at the Coliseum back in 1974. And we, we broke one about every two or three shows, and they never ran out of them. It wasn't Formica, the top of the table. It was some old, like, particle board, like a really stiff ceiling tile. And when Tracy gave him the pile driver, instead of breaking in half, a hole just broke underneath him and they went straight through the fucking table without the table breaking. And to the point where Tracy was folded up like a jackknife with Tom's legs stuck up in the air and their ass, Tom's head and Tracy's ass were stuck in the hole in the table. It looked so incredible live because where we were sitting was on the opposite side of the ring, like the first row of the balcony. And you just see them, and then they just go, and the table's still there. You're like, what just happened? Yeah, they just went, like, <laughs> the elevator dropped out. Boom. And the table is still standing all around them, and they're buried in the middle of it. But none of that happened on SmackDown. No, we had more fun no. with table talk this week than we did with SmackDown. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the, the thing is, table talk, it's talk. And it's about tables, but you can talk about anything you want to talk about, folks. As long as you're listening to something you enjoy, what difference does it make what the subject is? That's right. That's right. That's why you love to listen to these programs, because we give you all kinds of topics. That's right. All kinds of subjects. And the best way in the whole wide world to listen to one of these programs is on our friends at Raycon's wireless earbuds. And have you heard about this? The early Black Friday sale going on now, Brian. I did not. I early black. Is it gray? You you heard about this? I told you about it. Fucking three days ago, we did the last program. Oh, was that you? But you don't listen to me anymore. You never listen, folks. It's up to fifty percent off at the early Black Friday sale, which is a shade That's of right. gray. Code name you were Cobra, right. right? Code name Cobra. You don't have to worry about being trampled like cattle. You don't have to worry about being mutilated like cattle. You don't have to worry about being milked like cattle. Because all you got to do is in the privacy of, well, there's a lot of things happen to cattle these days. Apparently. In the privacy of your own home, you can go to buyraycon.com and you can fill out your Christmas list for yourself or for your significant other, for your loved ones, family members, anybody that wants to hear voices or even potentially music in their own head. You can program people's minds, ladies and gentlemen, 
with the Raycon everyday wireless earbuds. No, repetition is the key. You can't program their minds. You can program some fine tunes that'll be played and some snappy talk. If you record your voice saying, I want you to want me the way that I want you, the way that it could be, baby, I'd love you to want me. And they just hear it over and over. (laughs) I don't know if they hear you doing that. They're going to think anything other than how do I get these out of my ear? Baby, I'd love you to want me the way that I want you, the way that it could be. Baby, I'd love you to want me. See, if you just hear that over and over, it trains these people. Stick these earbuds in a girl you want to get with. Stick them in her ears while she's asleep at night. If you have to crawl in the wind and do what you got to do, and then let her hear that over and over while she's asleep, George is the guy. George is the guy. I want to blow George. Shit like that. (laughs) And you will be able to train people to your bidding. I don't I don't think we should be teaching or preaching to people that they should be using this for some level of hypnosis that they could somehow just do to people. Would you suggest sneak into someone's house? Train people. Just a subliminal. I didn't say sneak in a house. I said crawl in the window. Now, there's a difference. Are it's you saying subtle, you could train people or that? The train people are going to be sneaking into your house. No, well, you can train people to sneak into houses on behalf of you for other people, or you can just train people to do your bidding. Or you could do perfectly, I can't even talk, you could do perfectly legal things like listen to music and snappy talk. Well, yes, like that, Raycon is a great company. It's multiple companies now. They launched Raycon Home and Raycon Power Tech. They've got... That magic 180 cable that charges all the IOs and the micro USBs and the Type Cs. USBs. And they've got the faucet filter that ultra filters the water in your tap against chlorine and heavy metal. That's, that's not what it does. It has nothing to do with water filtration no, or water the softening. Faucet, the faucet filter ultra filters the water, and that's the faucet filter that comes from Raycon Home. And it it ultra filters the water in your tap against chlorine and heavy metal. That's exactly what it says. What what it's got against Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and other groups, I have no idea, but it's going to filter that stuff out. Because you're using this water to wash your face and brush oh, your teeth. It really does say that. This is a real yes. thing you're talking about. Well, what you think I'd lie? You just make up all sorts of shit. I never know what you're saying on I these things. I didn't say the earbuds would filter the water. You you can't do that. I'll tell you right now. Don't try to filter your water with the earbuds, because all you'll get is soggy earlobes. But folks, whatever you want, you want to listen to fine earbuds. You want to drink clean water. You want to charge up various shit you can plug into the magic 180 cable with they've got all kinds of things to make your life easier over at buy raycon b-u-i-r-a-y-c-o-n buy raycon.com and right now with the early black friday sale which is getting a darker gray as we speak and is headed toward full blackout potential it's going on right now up to 50 percent off up to 50 percent off there's all kinds of different discounts. There's 20%, there's 30, 40, even 50% on these various products. You got to jump in now. Great gifts. It's, that's right, stocking stuffers. I'll tell you what, you take a pair of these earbuds and you stick them in a woman's stocking, boy, it's only going to take her a second to notice that they're there and she's going to jump and turn around and say, what the fuck did you just shove in my crotch? And then she'll see their she, Raycon what? wireless no, earbuds no, in stockings, no, 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 no. and she'll pull them out, no. and she'll say, well, these go in my ears. But thank you. 
I don't I don't think any of that is the way that would go down if any of that preposterous scenario actually happened. But well, it depends every, on the woman. Every idea you have is like out of a movie from the 80s, from the early 80s, the very early well, 80s. Well, it's almost the late 70s. It's so early. But you can do all these things, folks, with the fine products that you find at buyraycon.com. Slash JCE is how you're going to get that discount, by the way. Use that slash JCE. 20 to 50% off buyraycon.com slash JCE. Get 20 to 50% off the Raycon products. Many things that you can shove in a woman's undergarments for Christmas this year. No, you could put it where you put your gifts. Where the and- sun don't shine. But that's that's a that's a lousy way to look at it. Instead, shove it in mom's stocking. Once again, what's that promo code, Jim? Slash JCE. Does that count as a promo code or is that a slash? Well, buyraycon.com. You need to get it. Buyraycon.com. Well, that's not a promo code. That's a website. Buyraycon.com is the website. Slash JCE is how you get the money off. And it's up to you to pick what you want to shove into mom's undergarments. Well, Brian, what in the wide, wide world of sports are you doing over at the Arcadian Vanguard Network this fine week? (laughs) Another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. Of course, the wrestling news every day. Get your wrestling news for free. Get it directly from thewrestlingnews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News for your free daily wrestling newscast. No opinion, no conjecture. Just the Wrestling News. Also want to make mention, Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. They continue their look at the fall of 1983 WWF, the fall before the rise of 1984 WWF. Hear it today at McAdamPod.com or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! No one's home. I gave a full-throated one that time. Go through the archive, 605pod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast, The Mothership. I don't know about full-throated, but if you do that again, I'll squeeze your britches full. Good heavens. The slide whistle there. Where, by the way, is there a place different? What are you saying? I said, that's not a slide whistle. This is... That's a slide whistle. Ah, thank you for clarifying that. I've also Is there a whistles. different place that you go to find podcasts you don't like than the place you go to find your favorite podcasts? Uh, no, unless someone's like an idiot and they don't know how to get their shit distributed, and there's plenty of free places to do that even, I think. But I think there should be a special place for all the podcasts that everybody thinks sucks, and that way you could plug it, and you could say, go to the place you go to for all the podcasts you think suck. Well, I wouldn't be saying that about my shows, so I wouldn't be plugging any shows that... Well, no, but that would keep those people out of your shows. If you like shows that suck, that sucks. go to showsuck.com. Yeah, there you go. Copyright that. Apply for that domain, showsthatsuck.com. <laughs> we could fill that son of a bitch up. Today alone. Today alone. All right, all right. Speaking of shows that suck, let's get to the main event of the evening. The WWE presented with a price tag of what we are apparently being told again is $50 million. 
the crown jewel event over there at the Muhammad bin Abdabin Arena. They weren't at the stadium this no. time. Does, does it get cold over there? I was going to say that was definitely the smallest building we've seen them run over there, right? Well, but I know they're all in the desert and riding camels and things, but does it get cold to where they had to go indoors? Oh, I don't what know. I don't know if it was like a temperature over? thing. I have no idea. Well, they went they went indoors this time. I don't know what the weather's like. I don't even know what the dew point is. Has anyone said this was the reason they were at the smaller indoor building, that it was because of the weather? Or are you just coming up with this? Well, I'm thinking they must get kids wintertime over here. Maybe it's wintertime over there. They can't be freezing their fucking camels off. (laughs) Anyway, but the Crown Jewel, they get $50 million twice a year to put these shows on in Saudi Arabia. And boy, howdy, they saw the Saudi Arabians coming down the road for this one. Now, there was a couple of good matches, but again, it takes a while now, even on pay-per-view, for anything to happen. You would think that you wouldn't have to sit through a lot of the the gaga and the, you know, the just the gaga, but you do still, because it takes forever to accomplish anything on these programs. And did you notice the lighting of the arena also? I like blue. I like most of the colors. Chartreuse and magenta, not really much on those, but the lighting looked like a bowl of soggy Cheerios. It was just all a Nickelodeon thing everywhere. I expected somebody to get slimed. Because they got that much money, does that mean they have to use it all? I'm a fan did of... You- I'm a fan of most of the colors. Is what I'm a fan of most of the colors. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was very bright, wasn't it? I don't mean bright light. I mean, bright colors all over the place, pastels and chartreuses and things. Well, I think that's part of why Saudi Arabia is doing deals like they're doing with WWE. They want to present Saudi Arabia as a big, bright place. You can come and <laughs> yeah. hang out for vacation and plant your money. Well, that's the thing is they even had the spots where all the superstars are going, oh, it's first class here. It's great. The people are so nice. The weather's so good. The buildings are so beautiful. That noon beheading was the best one I've ever seen. The noon beheadings are always on schedule, and they promised we can go home this time. As long as we say these things. But anyway, they opened up the show with the world title match between Seth Franklin Rollins and Drew McIntyre. And I got to be, I like Drew McIntyre more now than, than we have lately because it's getting some critical raves that he's becoming more of a, a snotty bastard with an attitude and isn't just going to be a nice guy, baby kiss and baby face. And he's a good worker and he's big and he's got some gravitas to him. It's just, there's been, we've talked about it. Just old Drew McIntyre just hanging out, being a baby face and waving that sword around hadn't really been intriguing, but this is a little bit more interesting, right? Oh, yes. Or potentially wrong. Well, I thought you were just saying that and going to move on. I didn't realize I was well, going to Well, I was going to take it. a breath. I'm doing most of the I, heavy lifting around here. Well, so I it's your show. Or, it's your show. But yeah, I agree. That. Look, Drew was dead as a baby face. And they made him the world champion. It was during the pandemic. There was no one there. When the fans came back, they didn't really react to him like a world champion. And a lot of that's not his fault. A lot of that's the yeah. way he's used. 
you could either keep going down the road of him being the baby face with the sword, or you can make him a heel and let his inner frustrations come out. And I'm glad he's getting frustrated, but I'm getting a little frustrated too because I still don't know what Seth Franklin Rollins' fucking gimmick is. I mean, he's a, he's a great athlete. He's a, kid, and, it's, he's a kid who's just discovered Elton John. I thought you were going to say LSD, but Elton John will work. Um, again, he's a great athlete. But now with this gimmick and combine that with he has, for better or worse, the most modern style matches in the WWE. And to me, that means they all kind of look the same and it's hard for me to critique because they just all contain a lot of moves and a lot of dives and a lot of the modern stuff of people taking bumps where they shouldn't take bumps. Or doing nonsensical things because the people go, oh, wow, I didn't expect that. Like, uh, Rollins gives Drew a superplex off the top rope, and as soon as they land, he holds on and rolls over, and they stand up, and then Drew, the guy that just got superplexed, picks Seth up and gives him a fucking suplex. How does that make any sense? But they, they love to do these things these days. Anyway, um, there was dives, there was fighting on the floor, there was an apron bump, there was some two counts. And then there was the point where Drew begged Seth to get up so that he could knock him down again. But when Seth got up, because Drew had waited to tell him to get up before he came over and hit him, he ran into a super kick and a pedigree at a curb stomp, one, two, three. And I was like, what the fuck? Apparently, Drew has still not signed his new contract. And the only with what they've been doing, it seemed like this might be a time where you'd want to put the belt on this guy. But apparently, if he hadn't signed, they're not going to do that. But so, after all this, he got beat with a super kick, a pedigree, and a fucking curb stomp. One, two, three. I think for now, WWE's ride or die with Captain Fantastic. That's what I think. Well, they sure made Drew the brown dirt cowboy then. Because <laughs> um, he had to wipe a bunch of that brown dirt off his face after that. And then he was forgotten because then here comes Damian Priest. And he runs down to cash in the briefcase. He's got the briefcase. He's telling the referee. But at that point, Sami Zayn in a hoodie ran down and grabbed the briefcase and stole it and ran off with it out into the, the crowd. So apparently, Sammy the Syrian doesn't have as much heat over there as he used to because he went out in the crowd without getting knifed. But they flew him all the way across the fucking world to put on a hoodie and steal a briefcase. Yeah, where else in Saudi Arabia can you grab someone's thing and run away and not get your hand cut off? As, especially if you're a fucking Syrian, apparently, or a Muslim, or whatever he is that they were mad at a while back. Uh, what what did you think of this match? I mean, kind of like a longer Raw match with the guy that you thought might win. Maybe it would do some good, didn't win? I think there's a couple different problems here. They're repairing Drew with a new gimmick, a new slant on himself. I mean, Damian Priest, just briefly, I'll just say, it kind of made him look weak. I didn't like that. Sammy runs off with his thing. Now we have him and Sammy. Have they not already been feuding? I don't even know. The problem is, while. WWE has stuff that's super over right now. 
guys that are super over feuds, storylines. I hate to say that, but it's really more a feud. Like the bloodline's not the bloodline feud. It's the storyline of the bloodline. But Rollins has a song that's over and he's into it. When was the last time you cared about anything he was doing? Anyone he was working with, the program he had going on? When was the last time you really, I can't wait to see that match. (laughs) I want to see what's going to happen when he finally gets his hands on this person or they get their hands on him. It's been a long time. So they've spent a lot of time developing his personality. His personality's over. I almost feel like he wrestles an AEW-style match sometimes, uh, you know, than a WWE match. But Rollins really isn't in the mix of, like, top things, unless they do something with him and Roman down the road before WrestleMania or something. But he's over. His music's over. I don't know how over he is because he's not really programmed in a top spot, even though he's the world champion. Well, that's the thing is that nobody views him as the world champion because the all that oxygen is taken up with Roman talking about the length of his reign and that he smashed everybody and that he held these the unified title for however long and blah, blah, blah. But then they're advertised for people who might just tune in every once in a while. They're, wait a minute. I thought they were saying the other guy had been the champion for three years. Now this guy says he's the champion. It's it. It's confusing to the casual person, and the the dedicated fans look at Roman as the champion, not Seth Franklin Rollins, because they just made that belt up six months ago. Right? We didn't get into him and Nakamura. I don't even remember who he was feuding with before then. I mean, him and Cody was the last time I guess we really cared, but that was more because it was Cody's first feud coming in. Well, and that was also before the world title number three was instituted. So it just, it's not really him. I don't even know what this is supposed to be, but it's not him. It's just him cackling and whining and singing and acting weirdly for, as we've said, it's it's not even a handsome Jimmy Valiant acting weird where you go, okay, I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what he's on, but it's obvious that that's him. This ain't him. It's like every villain from the 60s Batman show had a baby. <laughs> and he acts like they did on that show. And, well, at least, then since Riddle is gone, why can't Seth be the next guy to get sound effects fly out of his ass instead of the unicorns or the elephants or the rabbits or whatever? He can jump over the top rope and bang, kapow, splat. All that flies out of his ass. I hope that when Tony makes his next big mistake, it signs Riddle. I hope that they use something flying out of his ass just so we get that lawsuit. Be ridiculous. That's our intellectual property. Anything flying out of this man's ass is the intellectual property of TKO Group. Except I don't think AEW will be able to afford the production to green screen the shit coming out of his ass or whatever. Well, let's move on. Because that was the first match, and by the time that that was over with, what we just described, it was 35 minutes into the program. And they followed that up with the five-way women's championship match with Refrigerator Jacks versus Raquel Rodriguez versus Zoe Stark versus Shayna Baszler versus Rhea Ripley. 
And if there was any question whether or not the Saudi Arabian people are absolutely batshit insane, it was answered here because Rhea was having to wrestle in a full body suit. The other's okay. Refrigerator Jack, she got her Omar the Tent Maker special, that's fine. But Rhea? That deprived some of those Saudi Arabian use of the, the best memories of their adolescence. But she did get a big entrance with robed Saudi Arabians with urns like druids. Yeah, what was that? I don't know. Probably <laughs> had something, something to do with something they do over there. I'm not sure. But, um, but anyway, uh, moving briefly through this, Raquel had Shayna covered, but Rhea gave Zoe the riptide off the turnbuckles on top of Raquel and Shayna. And then pin Shayna one, two, three. I'm sure you want to go into a detailed analysis of the fine quality work that led up to that from everybody except Rhea Ripley. You know, I like when Shayna and formerly Ronda wear their uh, judo. I, well, I don't know if Shayna did judo, just their MMA gi into these matches. It actually adds to it. So that's pretty much the remark you have about the gi. And this was the judo Gene LaBell moment of the show. That was it. I mean, it was, you yeah. know, it was a five-way at 1.30 in the afternoon. I don't know what you want me to say. Well, well, sometimes that can work out, but... Yeah, behind the dumpster. Behind the dumpster, but... So then they did the commercial about the stars telling us how much they love Saudi Arabia, and the Saudi Arabian airline, by the way. So not only is the country beautiful, the people are nice, the... It's modern, it's friendly, everything's great, you're great, I'm great, we're all great, but their airline is is the thing I want to fly on. It's what they, yeah. Again, probably because they were allowed to go home on it. Well, Jim, let's fly on to the next match. Well, actually, we a little bird told me this was going to be a good one. It was John Cena against Solo Sokoa. And by the way, did you notice Paul did not come out? With Solo, he saved that for the end. But obviously, there was a huge response for Cena. These people, even there, and it used to be years ago that when you'd go overseas to an international market, they'd be a few years behind the times. And maybe the guy that was, you know, over a number of years ago is still over, but your modern guys are not. Well, these people seem to know the modern talent. Sometimes they weren't over, but they knew them. But Cena's, again, a whole nother level of fucking star to these people. And it was a huge response. And they made the mention that the last time that Cena won a singles match was in 2018 in Saudi Arabia over Triple H. So I guess they haven't seen him in a while over there. But again, <laughs> They rang the bell. This was match number three. They rang the bell at an hour, 10 minutes into the show. So this is taking a while to develop. As far as the match... But no one there seems bored. Well, no, because they're seeing something they never get to see. And it's like the, the Wembley crowd. They're seeing the big event that they, you know, only rarely get a chance to see, and they're into all of that, but... For us folks here at home watching on television in the United States of America, and having been longtime wrestling fans, this shit 
takes a fucking while to watch. It's just, it's slower paced and slower developing than any wrestling product that we've ever experienced in our lifetimes, isn't it, Brian? I mean, if you went back to the 40s and the early days of television, but even then they didn't have 10 minutes of entrance on television. They had a 10-minute headlock. So you want to watch them squeeze or you want to watch, watch them walk? Anyway, for what was supposed to be done for an accomplishment of a point, building for the future, etc., this was probably the best match on the show. It was not the best match in terms of excitement because John Cena is a movie star and he can't go out there and fucking take risks on killing himself because he's got other fish to fry. But what he did do was use his stardom in the, in the wrestling business and his celebrity and star power to get a young guy over. And he the match made sense, but it was safe. He ducked and avoided the spike. He worked on Solo's hand and arm, trying to neutralize the spike. Again, he remembers his Rip Rogers training. That's the first thing that you would do. Try to go after the guy's hand if he uses a fucking thumb as a weapon. And then Solo stopped him, and, and Cena sold and fought back from underneath, but made Solo the monster. And they kept going back to... Solo trying to spike him, but John would escape in the nick of time. And then finally he made a comeback, five-knuckle shuffle, crossbody off the top, two-count, rock-bottom two-count. He's looking good. But Solo foils the AA. It hits his own rock-bottom. And they go back and forth a little bit more. And then suddenly... Solo out of the STF that Cena got, Solo gets the ropes, and then he hits the spike, and he sells his bad hand. Then he hits it again and sells it again, but he hit then third, and then four fucking spikes. And then he just went off, and I don't know whether it was seven thumbs or punches or clubbing overhand blows, but he hit him with that, and boom, and covered him one, two, three. And that was pretty fucking decisive. They put Solo over as a monster killer, and the spike beat the bejesus out of John Cena, the greatest of all time. And now he's going to go back and make some more movies or whatever, and Solo is a bigger attraction for him because he's got that on his resume. And you can imagine what they're going to make the highlight package look like. Like fucking John was goddamn paralyzed. So it wasn't an exciting match, but it was the best match for getting something accomplished and the absolute right finish. And a big superstar agreeing to do it because it was best for business. You couldn't have put someone over better than John Cena did there. And Solo is probably the guy to do something like that for. He's been used seriously. I think he's been pinned before, and I can't even remember exactly when or who did it, which is pretty, you know, pretty telling. Yeah. He's been presented strongly, and he's been presented so strongly, you have to wonder down the road, how big is it going to be when it's him against Roman? Well, there you, they've got that in their pocket. 
He destroyed and that'll be Cena. After he the destroyed other Cena. Like Roman never beat Cena like that. Who was it that um did they do that with Brock and Cena one time? Where Brock just kicked the shit out of him. It's fairly one-sided. I believe it was Brock and Cena on pay-per-view like 10 years ago. Yeah, I think they did a one-sided one, but then Cena won. Well, yes. Well, no, I think he beat him up and beat him, and then he came back and won later, didn't he? Well, I don't know. We have to go back and uh, check uh, the files. Have have Kippelman do a search on that. You got that, Kippelman? But And then Cena got an ovation and got to wave goodbye and walk out on his own power, but he was selling the throat and selling the beating the whole way. And Michael Cole got to put him over. That was his graceful exit. But that was... Um, you know, that was about as good a deal as you could do. And then, unfortunately, we go from the penthouse to the outhouse. We were not told or warned, I guess I should say, that this was going to happen, but we had an episode of Ms. TV. And now they're switching Ms. Babyface. Has he ever been a babyface before? It was Heyman and you. They put him in there with Waller. Waller is his Heyman. I guess you're right. The only I, I told Heyman, I said, "Fucking Genghis Khan couldn't have turned me babyface, but you did." Well, it's the same thing. Waller is the only person more annoying than Miz, and Miz this more familiar to the people than Waller. So they've uh. the fans were behind Miz because I mean, again, it was about them battling over their interview shows like Piper's Pit versus The Flower Shop, Miz TV versus The Waller Effect, and the fans took Miz's side. Well, and also Miz had brought out the star of the highest-grossing Saudi Arabian movie of all time. It grossed three Twizzler sticks and a fucking gum wrapper. Oh, come on. His name was Abraham Al-something or other. And I'm not familiar with him for the record. I, I haven't seen any of his uh, major motion pictures. Apparently, he's a funny guy. That's what the announcers kept saying. Oh, he's hilarious. So as soon as they start to do their sit down, that's when Waller interrupted and called for his set to be brought to the ring, the potted plants, the posters. the And that's what the bone of contention was. Miz and Waller knocked each other's talk show segments. And then Abraham uh, chimed in with the hottest show in the WWE is Miz TV. And, of course, people cheer because he said it. But this is sad. 40 years ago, they had Piper, and now they have Waller. Piper, Waller. Piper, Waller. More like Wallow. So while they were wallowing in their Waller, uh, Grayson Waller kicked Abraham, but then Miz kicked Grayson, but then Abraham kicked Grayson, and then Miz hit his finish on Grayson, and then Abraham took forever and gave Grayson a Arabian elbow. It was the Saudi Arabian version of the people's elbow. And this was... I'm sure the sponsoring group, the royal family, liked it or whatever, and I guess the fans like Abraham, but this was not good for anybody in the United States. Were you in the United States for this? Remember when Piper came back in 89 and he did Piper's Pit with Morton Downey Jr. and Brother Love? Yes, and that was fucking brutal, and it lasted forever. That's right. 
This was not as good as that was. Because at least it was Piper and Morton Downey Jr. in the ring. And Bruce was there too. <laughs> he used to talk about that like, oh, it was so great. I didn't have the heart to tell him that we saw it down south when uh, when it happened and we were all laughing at him for fucking weeks because even Piper couldn't save it. They, they couldn't rein Morton Downey in. And as a fan, as a kid, it was so disappointing that that's how Piper's pit returned. It was really disappointing. Yeah. Bruce enjoyed it. But anyway, so there was a VTR of Logan Paul driving a race car through the desert there in Saudi Arabia. Apparently they got plenty of sand. And then he was driving through the streets of town and he drove into the parking lot of the arena. And then he drove it into the arena and got a big pop. The thing that made this different than Edge a few weeks ago in AEW is he wasn't coming to save a friend who was getting his ass kicked. He was making a grandiose, prickish celebrity entrance in his, in his fancy race car that they gave him for the occasion. Do you think anybody picked up on this difference of how he looked like a big fucking star and this was shot so well by professionals all the way from the desert through the city to the arena and there was no glaring logic error like weren't you supposed to be just coming down to help your friend i understand logan shot it with darby allen at gum alley <laughs> and that may be part of the difference also is even today the layman, the person who's not that well-versed in television, can can tell when somebody has shot shit on their own and when television professionals are doing it. And so they even do what AEW does and do it better. And they can get by with it. But that was Logan Paul's entrance for the United States title match with him and Rey Mysterio. Would you take a, a, a guess, Brian, as to what time the bell rang for match number four in this show? Oh, I don't remember what time it was. No. One hour and 53 minutes into the telecast, match number four. Whoever is training Logan Paul is doing a great job. And I can't give them all the credit because Logan Paul is either a natural, a huge wrestling fan, or both at the same time. And he's still green because he hadn't done this repetitively over and over in front of people. So everything is not smooth, but he's either doing or trying to do everything that he should do. He's either in the place or trying to be in the place that he should be. He's doing flips. He's doing power moves. He's doing basics of wrestling. I mean, you know... It's it's kind of spooky that a guy from a complete another industry, line of work, mindset, whatever, can come in and be a good enough athlete but have a good enough eye that he can see the small things or if he's not seeing them but he's being told them, he is working on them harder and more successfully than the supposed professional wrestlers on AEW television that still aren't ready to get out of the indies. And it's, it's, it's an accomplishment. He's very, very good. Anyway, 
And Ray, is, as always, is not only the perfect guy to be in there to kind of keep things going in the right direction because of his experience, but he sells as an underdog in all of his matches because of the size difference, and that makes Logan Paul look bigger and more of a heel. And he's got the, you know, Logan Paul wants to do all these moves because they're cool, as well as being able to be a money-drawn wrestler if he keeps, you know, moving along at this pace. But I didn't mind it here as much as the thing with Ricochet because this is star versus star, and the match with Ricochet was just to do stunts. I think this was more, and this was also a title match more important because they're moving Logan Paul up, obviously, as we'll see in the finish in a second. And he couldn't be elevated by beating Ricochet. It was just a match to do cool moves and you tickle the people like high spots. This was a, a money match. What'd you think of it? I thought it was really good. And I've been a big fan of Logan Paul since he first got in there. You know, he seems like he may be a heel in real life. <laughs> you know, Coffeezilla. That's, that's what makes him good. That's what I was going to say. Coffeezilla has done videos about him and stuff, but like the classic guys you hear about in the old days, they were just versions of themselves and it worked. Yeah. His character works, his promos work, his in ring works. Physically, like you said, they said he was whatever, 213. You could say 230. I believe it. He's yeah. tall and I don't want to say lanky, but he's got like size to. He's got better size than most tall people. Maybe he's on the gas. I really don't know. Well, he probably is. But physically, he looks good in there. He gets everything down. He, I mean, he's really, really good. If he was doing his full time, he'd be one of the best heels. He already may be one of the best heels in the business. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Logan Paul is a modern nature boy, Buddy Landell, with better genetics and fewer outside the ring bad habits. That's right. If instead of cocaine, Buddy was doing crypto scams... Yes. They'd be just alike. But they're naturals in the ring, both personalities and athletically. And there are just people like that. I mean, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you talk about people like Bobby Eaton or Terry Gordy, there were some people that just got it right away no matter what age they got in. They got it. Kurt Angle, they got it right away. Yeah. But I mean, personality-wise also, because you, whereas Bobby and Terry were the sweetest people in the world outside the ring... Buddy and Logan Paul, you can tell, are fucking shysterish, goddamn braggadocious, egotistical. The bad side can come out. They're natural heels. They want to kick the fucking basketball away from the kid or whatever. But anyway, in the finish of this thing, one of Logan Paul's miscellaneous stooges, I guess in his periphery, comes to ringside and hands him a set of brass knucks. But Rey Mysterio shoves him, and he drops the knucks to the floor. The stooge goes for him, but Escobar appears and stops the stooge, grabs the knucks, puts him down on the apron of the ring, and chases the stooge out of the arena. But Logan Paul picks the knucks up behind the referee's back and nails Rey Mysterio with him. One, two, three, new champion. Could this be finally the tipping point where we see what's going to go on between Escobar and Mysterio. Because something's up. And at the same time, Logan Paul is now 
holder of one of the more prestigious belts in the company, so he's going to be more regular, and they're going to use him at a more featured level. Here's how it should play out. Rey Mysterio is going to get all heelish, because otherwise you can't do it, and say, why did you leave the brass knuckles on the apron? Why didn't you slide them to me? Why didn't you do something with them? You left them there, they got involved. And Escobar could say, Ray, I've talked to my attorney. Contractually, you are still the champion. This is the United States Championship. This was Saudi Arabia, not part of the United States. You are still the champion. Boy, you know, that's a natural segue into a spot for Stephen P. New, but this isn't the drive-thru. At newlawoffice.com, 877-50-STEVE. But you may be right there. There may be a loophole. He may be the Saudi Arabian champion. If anything happened with Ray or Escobar coming out of that, how does it make Ray look good? If he would, right? He can't be mad about... What's he going to be mad about exactly? The Nux being left there? Well, I... I've got to be honest, I think it, it, at first I was thinking that they were trying to anoint a new babyface Hispanic hero in Escobar by having him validated by Rey Mysterio. But the more that I see of this, something's going to happen where Escobar stabs Rey Mysterio in the back because they cannot make Rey a heel but there's going to have to be some conflict. And they teased it a time or two before, I think, and then there was a time where Ray got the concussion and they had to end their match early. We don't know exactly what was going to happen there. I don't trust Escobar. Something about him don't sit right with me, Brian. Well, remember, Something's going to go on. Remember, before the LWO, he was a lucha suit. That's right. And you can never trust them lucha suits. That is still the best name you ever came up with because it actually works. Like, that would be a great tag team name, the Lucha Suits. Well, and, and the Street Profits are trying to take a copyright infringement there now that they've dressed up. Nevertheless, moving on, I know you're going to have a bunch of comments about the next match that came up for the Women's Championship, one of them. Bianca Belair against EO Sky. Brian, give me your thoughts on this contest. My thoughts are that I really enjoyed the last time they wrestled. I think EO's really good. I think Bianca's really good. And there was just the uh, Bailey Bunch beatdown backstage. There were other Bs in there, and I'm forgetting them now. <laughs> but um, to be honest and to be fair to the ladies, I yeah. was planning on returning to this match. I was, I had a lot of editing and stuff. You were going to come back. You had to, you were yeah. washing your hair. Because I didn't want to half watch it in and out. I had to like really sit down. You'd rather watch not it. watch it at all. No, I'd rather <laughs> give it time so I could actually see what's happening and appreciate it from the uh, level of appreciation that uh, I'm sure these women want their work to be evaluated from. By and appreciated by. Yes. Yes. So, right. so, so you're going to next week on the program, you'll have gone back and had time then to watch it. Unless it's a really busy week and we just don't have time to talk about it on the show. You know, like, you know, things, animals dying and uh, cobras. Somet sometimes things come up. That's right. Well, Carrie Sane returned and helped EO Sky win. They beat Bianca Belair, and Carrie Sane is even more microscopic and minute and amoebic in size than EO Sky is. She's a very slight girl. So then yeah. we got to... Carrie Sane was uh, something that Carrie Silkin's accountants never called him. <laughs> Carrie Sane, question mark? 
<laughs> anyway, we got to the double main event. It's about darn time. And the first match of that was Damian Priest against Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare. And he made the entrance, and you've got the Saudi Arabians singing Cody's song about being a proud American show-stealing fellow. Is that what that song says? Well, I don't, he's, he's going to steal the show, and he's going to do this and do that, but he's the American nightmare. But I don't even think the song says anything about he's an American show-stealer. I'm <laughs> a proud American. I'm going to go and steal the show. I was like when Jim Duggan would get the Canadian fans to chant USA. <laughs> hey, you know, actually, when the Midnight Express, this was the first time that Crockett went up to Winnipeg, and the Bushwhackers, the sheep herders, were still in Crockett before they'd gone and become the Bushwhackers, Butch and Luke, and we wrestled them in, and we were the baby faces in that equation, and wrestled them in Winnipeg and got the crowd to chant Canada, Canada, and they were covering their ears and yelling and everything. Anyway, it was funnier if you were there. And then look at how Canada repaid you. They kicked you out of the country. <laughs> they repaid me in scorn. <laughs> so Damian Priest jump-started this match with Cody Rhodes. We were now two hours and 45 minutes into the show. And this one, I thought, again, was the most exciting in-ring match of the, the night just standing on its own. L.A. Knight and Roman Reigns drew the money. John Cena's match got the best point across. I thought Priest and Cody, Paul and Ray was very good, but Priest and Cody was the best, just in-ring exciting match. Um, Cody's over. He's the the best babyface right now. <sighs> L.A. Knight is nipping at him, but at the same time, I think there's room because Cody is like the classic babyface and L.A. Knight is like the Attitude Era babyface. And those can coexist. They're not doing each other's shtick, right? They can be friends. They can be friends, too. And then you can easily tell them apart. Uh, but anyway, um, Cody sold the, the bad ankle from the attack by the Judgment Day. And they, they kept it moving. They didn't do ridiculous amounts of fighting on the furniture. Uh, there was one point they were out there on the desk for a while and they weren't counted out. That was a little a little much, but they keep the fucking action going. Cody made a little false comeback at one point and then stopped it or got stopped and then got some more heat on him and then he made a bigger comeback. It was a good match up and down through and then finally Cody hit the crossroads and both of them were selling, and here came Finn jogging down and drawing the referee so that J.D. Funko could come in. But Cody nailed him. Priest got a choke slam and got a two count. And then Finn called Dominic out, and he came out bringing a chair, but Jey Uso came out and stopped him and stopped J.D. McDonough and Finn and chased them all out. And at that point, that's the only thing that I really... It's become a thing now. Used to, in wrestling, when everybody ran down, the interference came, you're pretty much going home. Your clock was ticking. 
Everybody's interfering. The people are yelling as loud as they're going to yell. You're going to do your finish. You're going to get out of there. And then to cross people up with what they expected was going to happen, they started doing the deal where, okay, every once in a while, somebody will run down, do something, but get chased off, and the match will go on. And if they've done a really good job of having a match and they've done that interference bit, when the people see that it's going to continue, they'll kick it into a higher level of reaction. And it's another, it's another gear. And it works in some cases. But then it became a thing where now they think they got to do that all the time. And so what happened was a bunch of people ran out. There was a flurry of activity. And then all those people get chased away. And then the match is still going on. And it's going to go another three or four or five minutes. That's where, to me, they start losing the people that they had right? But they did more back and forth. And then finally, out of whatever, Cody just hit three crossroads in a row. One, two, three. They had him going. It was back and forth. And yes, but it's awful hard to, to goddamn follow multiple people running down and multiple people fighting on the floor. And then they all just disappear and nobody tries to do anything else. And you go another three minutes and then just beat somebody with your finish. See what I'm saying to you? Yeah. It's actually more like a WWE of, uh, you know, 10 years ago or something. I think Cody, in terms of top babyface, he is still, and he is in danger of losing it if he doesn't do something else. They got to get him to do something other than the Judgment Day for a while. He's gotten a little sidetracked with those folks, and... I know they don't want to, you can't burn out the thing with Roman, but that's going to have to be addressed at some point. And I guess it may be when we find out whether or not, you know, Roman or Rock's going to come back and wrestle Roman. So basically, best in-ring match so far, the modern finish for me took a point off. Yeah, I can't argue with that. And I guess they're doing Damian Priest and Sami Zayn now. And Cody's got to do something other than the Judgment Day, like I said before. And it can't be Bloodline right away. I don't know what it is in between. Unless CM Punk comes back, but we'll see what happens. Well, you know, Survivor Series is right around the corner. Randy Orton. And uh, I was talking about Punk in Chicago. But Orton would work. At least they've got options. But, speaking of options, the time for our main event of the evening for the real WWE title, let's face it, the one everybody recognizes, Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman against L.A. Knight. And everybody was worried, well, and you mentioned, is this going to be a throwaway? Is this going to be L.A. Knight's only chance? They did everything they could to make him competitive here and to give him every out that he didn't win the belt. And... I, I I thought this was a refreshing Roman Reigns match because it was like 20 minutes bell to bell. It wasn't 40 minutes of just constant on and on. They kept it moving and they got the point across and LA Knight was competitive the whole way through. Again, the bell for the main event came three hours and 15 minutes into the show and this was only the seventh match. Um, 
And and Roman Reigns' entrance was almost five minutes long by itself, but at least they kept it moving, and both guys were over, and the issue was over. And L.A. Knight opened up hot, which he had to, but every, every time Roman would stop him, he'd slow it down, but L.A. Knight would fight back, and they would keep him in the fucking match. And at no point was he really you know, being toyed with or whatever the fuck he was selling, but he was fighting back. And again, when Roman gets heat, he milks it. It's methodical, but they didn't let it go so long that they're remember that one match. Who was it? Was it with Cody or was it where the, the trash talking was endless and it just kept going on and on? There's been a few of those. I think maybe few of one, those. once with Jay Uso, maybe one with Sammy at some point. Yeah. But anyway, nevertheless, they they did a nice yay boo exchange, which L.A. Knight came out on top of. They did some two counts. The people were into it both ways. L.A. got to do his leap up and superplex, the L.A. elbow, another big two count. Solo comes out with the referees and the agents trying to hold him back. And Jimmy Uso comes out the other side and pulls Roman to the floor. So then L.A. grabs Jimmy Uso, and he's going to pull him into the ring, and Roman hits L.A. with a punch and a spear and gets a two-count. And then gets back on L.A. Knight, and again, all the interferers were gone. It, 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 you didn't see anybody. So Solo, the referees, the agents, blah, blah, blah. Roman gets a front face lock, the guillotine to you MMA fans. And holds that for a while, and then L.A. hot shots him and hits his finish on Roman Reigns that has the cover, and Jimmy, who's been hiding somewhere, was still there and put Roman's foot on the rope. So L.A. Knight hit his finish and had him covered. Roman didn't kick out, and it took the interference of the fucking heel to get the rope break. And at that point, L.A. bails out on the floor and beats up... Um beats up Jimmy and does the yeah heads to the desk. And then Roman's out there and he grabs and does it to Roman too. suplexes Jimmy through the desk. And then Roman comes from the back and spears LA Knight through the barricade, rolls him into the ring and hits him with another spear. One, two, three. So as a, thankfully better and shorter than many of the long world title matches that get overdone. But I wish, I wish that they hadn't speared everybody through the goddamn barricade because this is a place where, yeah, okay, that's a fluke. It never happened in a million years again. That would have benefited L.A. Knight if we hadn't seen this how many dozens times now. But still, they gave him every out in the world. Good match. I'm not crazy about him losing a match right now, but I think uh, he could probably talk his way out of this, and the fans yeah. won't really care, as long as there's something to do with him next, and uh, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm thinking there ought to be campaigning for a rematch, and whoever Roman has next before a big event, like WrestleMania or whatever, maybe that's where LA Knight comes out and tries to help that person out and stays in the in the craw of the bloodline. Would you consider for Survivor Series, since it's a different model, you don't have to really get a bunch of buys, and you already know you have tickets sold, a classic Survivor Series match? 
Ooh, L.A. Knight and a bunch of baby faces against, well, who is Ro Roman Solo Jimmy? He needs another one, doesn't he? And then they need a couple of uh, hired assassins. Calling Jacob Fatu. Calling Jacob Fatu. My thought was this is a way you don't blow through another singles main event. You can have someone get a pinfall because it's a Survivor Series type match and his eliminations as opposed to the end of the match. There's a lot you could do there to extend things without having to blow through another big match. Well, you know, I, I, but I hate to do it, but I'm going to have to take the piss out of that because you know Roman Reigns is not at the Survivor Series. Oh, I didn't realize that, no. I heard that Roman is not booked at Survivor Series and he'll next be at something in December. Christmas? Well, he'll possibly be coming down your chimney, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be a while before we see him again. So that kind of... Puts a crimp in that. Well, like they always say, how can I miss you if you don't go away every three weeks? Well, in that case, are you trying to tell me that we should go away now so when we come back in three days, the people will have missed us? Three days. That's a commitment. Uh, yes, we are doing that. Well, in that case, folks, we hope you've enjoyed the program today. And if you haven't, it's probably been your fault because we had a ball doing it. And in parting, until we see you again down the road, friends, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody.